Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So I've got to double check. Today's Thursday, right? It is indeed. Okay. So a Thursday edition Aquarian Company on, again, what is an absolutely beautiful day outside. Absolutely beautiful day. And... It's going to be a beautiful day just of sports in general, right? You got the Colts getting set to go across the pond. You got Chris Hagan already there sending pictures from Frankfurt. You've got the Pacers last night getting a win and hoping to make it two in a row tonight. Um, and, you know, still right on the cusp of college basketball season. So plenty to talk about over the course of today. And we will have guests that talk about the myriad of topics of which I just mentioned. But before that, let me say to both of you guys uh, – I want to say good morning because my, my my time is still a little bit off um, and I still feel like I'm doing the morning show, but it's technically noon. So good afternoon to you. Uh, Eddie Garrison, I'll begin with you. Last night, your night consisted obviously of the Pacer game, correct? Correct. And for those that are unfamiliar, that capacity of your involvement with the Pacer game is? Uh, I produced the pregame show with Pat Boylan, uh, the Kroger pregame show. And then on the Elevance Health Radio Network, I produced the game for Mark Boyle and then the world's greatest postgame show with Eddie White. Now, what is, I'm just curious, the, the producing of the show, the broadcast itself, what does that entail? Uh, keeping Mark on track with breaks, cutting up highlights, finding any notes and sharing them with Mark as I... Uh, scavenge through different stat websites and notice any trends during the game. Just try to help him out as much as I can. Okay, and then for the now, do you are you in charge of keeping track of Eddie on the post game show? Um, I try to. Is that like herding cats? Sometimes when you have two Eddies together, it gets hard to herd. That that would be confusing, probably right. And then you have Mark Boyle who insists on calling you both Edward, and then everything gets awkward, right? Actually, he does not call me Edward. He calls really? me Eddie. Nice. Have I don't you ever been think... to Fast Eddie's, by the way? What'd you say? Have you ever been to Fast Eddie's? No. It's in um, Belleville, Illinois, I believe. That or Alton, it might be Alton, Illinois. Right across the river from St. Louis, it's like an old-fashioned burger place and bar. You Off together to, sometimes. You should go for a birthday party sometime. Go to Fast Eddie's. Spend your birthday at Fast Eddie's. Sounds good to me. I'm sorry to slightly disrespect our neighbors to the north, but I think that Chicago is the extent of cities I've spent a long time in in Illinois. Our neighbors to the uh, west, sorry. That, that probably is, you're probably not alone there, right? Yeah. Have you not spent time in Springfield? Not spent a weekend one day in Decatur? So. No. Never done Danville? How Mm-mm. about Paris, Illinois? No. Oh, yeah. Wee oui, wee. Oui. It's lovely, Paris, Illinois. Champagne? Mm-mm. Speaking of Paris. No. Okay. Uh, okay, that's Jimmy Cook, who is the president of Quarrying Company. Your night last night consisted of? A lot of NBA consumption. Obviously, watched the Pacers last night. Uh, wanted to check out. The Victor Wemanyama MSG debut, which another lost bet, was another lost bet. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, it was a rather disappointing evening in that regard. Um, but yeah, I mean, Pacers looked really good, and this is what we talked about two days ago. You want to string together a couple wins so that as you're going to go against Milwaukee, who's coming off a win last night, also on the second half of a back-to-back, that you're kind of on even footing. And your first test, where you did not have Tyrese Halliburton, you got slaughtered by the Celtics. Now you're at home against the Bucks and an opportunity to really measure yourself where you are in an early season test. So looking forward to tonight, but yeah, I had a lot of fun last night. How about you? No, wait a minute. Hold on just a second. Hold the phone. Sure. There's a Fast Eddie's in Greenwood and one in Carmel off 146th Street, somebody just told me. Really? Now, 
is that the same as the? Fa- I don't think that's the Fast Eddie's that's in like the world famous one in Alton, Illinois, right? Isn't Alton, Illinois, where the world's tallest dude is from? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Didn't you ever have a Guinness Book of World Records? It's got the picture of the tallest man in the world, and then the two fat guys on mopeds, the twin, the two, the world's fattest twins. I would assume that the last time I looked at the Guinness Book of World Records, the world's tallest or world's oldest have all passed, but maybe that's ignorance well, he, on my part. No, ever to live. So Robert oh, Wadlow, it's like not, one okay. black and white photo right. of him. Yeah, he was from like, you know, he lived in like eight, 1910 or something like that. Uh, it sucks for him. There was no NBA then because he was like, what was he, like seven foot, <laughs> I, I don't know, eight foot something. He was Web, ridiculous. Webin Yama before his time. That's right. <laughs> uh, it, mobility, a bit of an issue. And then you had the two. Anybody my age group knows what I'm talking about when I say the Guinness Book of World. If you mentioned any kid of the 70s and 80s, the Guinness Book of World Record, the first thing they, they think of, the first thing they think of is either the, the dude in like Malaysia that had the fingernails that were like 18 feet long and all curly, or the two fat twins on little mini bikes that are riding around with their butt crack hanging out. I feel like I have probably seen both those. Yes, <laughs> agree. They were horrifying images that you can't wash out of your 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 corneas until like 1990. But I, I think he was from Alton, Illinois. Um, last night, I basically so we had a get together for IndyCar Radio down on the south side. We did axe throwing. Have you guys done this? Not. No, I've not. My wife has. I have not. I, I believe Eddie rolled his eyes. Did you no. roll your eyes, Eddie? No, I was trying to think. No, I've not. Okay. You wait, hold on. Why you have to jog your memory to remember whether or not you threw axes? <laughs> what sort of things are so, you doing in your personal well, life? Well, at Dave and Buster's, they have this new game where you can throw a like I don't know how to describe it. It's not like an actual axe, but it's an axe game. Okay. I was trying to decipher if I have done that or both, or if it would qualify. It was just in the conversation. The, I, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the axe throwing, but the whole place smelled like bad cologne, which was weird. Um, Jimmy, what about you? Have you been axe throwing? No, I've not. Not that you think it'd be easy, but but you get frustrated because the axe doesn't always stick. Sure. Um, but we did that last night as an IndyCar uh, team building event for those of us at IndyCar Radio. How'd you do? I, I was okay, except for that it, it, in the beginning I was so proficient that I kept getting bullseyes, and then as you would pull the axe out, it would knock a little wood off, and then I had cleaned out the bullseye area where then nothing would stick there anymore. So my accuracy started to drop. A Got little hot bit. early, and then it. All I can tell you is half. track dude Michael Young, who does turn two for the five hundred. Uh, that guy's a cheater. When it comes, I don't mean like Joey Greco was there. I just mean don't sign trust, stealing. Don't. Yes, exactly. He's the Jim Harbaugh of axe throwing. <laughs> don't trust him. Um, this morning, I did have the pleasure, and I would like to thank Damar of Indiana, which is a fabulous organization, which was you know, developed, started by a group of parents, the Farkas family, who had two children with disabilities and they wanted to give their children the opportunity in an era where kids were basically institutionalized if they had Down syndrome or other such disabilities. They wanted their children to have the same opportunities as anybody else and to put the ability into disabilities. And Damar is a wonderful organization that empowers people of all walks here in Indianapolis. And they had their annual... Uh, breakfast heading into the holiday season this morning. Don Fisher was the key guest that I had the pleasure of interviewing Don um, about a number of things while we were up there, and we gave out their annual service awards, including 
uh, giving in an award to somebody who has been helped by Damar, a family that's been helped by Damar. But it was a true privilege to be able to do that this morning, so I'd like to thank them for having me out to Newfields to conduct their breakfast this morning. It was fabulous, and the whole time I kept thinking it was 1 o'clock in the afternoon because my body is still jet-lagged. Uh, last night, Pacers getting a win. They again are back on the hardwood tonight. As a matter of fact, tonight's a big one. The Milwaukee Bucks in town. But I think what we're seeing here with them that's interesting is it does feel like the Pacers, Jimmy, like just for example, I go back to Halliburton, Tyrese Halliburton is clearly the straw mixing drink for the Pacers. But I think that they are at their best, not necessarily when Halliburton early in games takes over, but rather when they kind of facilitate for balanced scoring and distribution of contribution around the roster. And last, last night, it was kind of Benedict Matherin's turn to, to be the one spearheading that. Yeah, you got 22 points from Benedict Matherin on 4 of 7 from beyond the arc. They, they looked for him throughout that contest. Aaron Neesmith off the bench impressed a lot of people, as he's been known to do. 24 points for him as well. Uh, the biggest thing for me, Jake, though, and Shout out to producer of Pacers action on the Pacers radio network, our own Eddie Garrison. He had a nice write-up as well that encapsulates this on 107.5thefan.com. But their defense, especially in the fourth quarter, I don't care that the Jazz are 2-7. and seven, They had made a deep third quarter run, as you often see from trailing teams in the NBA. And the Pacers were not on the wrong end of a fourth quarter run to close things out. They finally got separation, as Eddie pointed out, something they did not do against the Bulls a week or so ago. That's a growth standpoint for me against a team that I believe the Pacers are better than in Chicago, better than in Utah, even if they didn't get the result that night. They're able to do it in many different ways offensively when they are facilitating, and that is a good sign for this team moving forward. But also when you see clear growth defensively, albeit against a lesser opponent in Utah, you needed to close that game out, and you got stops along with your offense to do it, which is something that was up and down a lot last year. Right. Defensively, no question. They they made a concerted effort in the offseason to bolster their defense by the signing of Bowen and just, you know, I think philosophically as well, right? They knew that they had to do something defensively to improve. Uh, we'll talk more about it. Tony East going to join us 1 o'clock today. Uh, and then the Colts, of course, heading off to – Germany for a game against the Patriots. I did find their injury report from yesterday, by the way. Any surprises? Well, so they had a walkthrough yesterday, so it's just That's an right. estimate. Yeah. Um, DNPs, if it would have been a real practice, for Juju Brents, for Josh Downs, Brents with the quad, Downs with the knee, Zaire Franklin with a knee, DNP, Drew Ogletree with a foot, DNP, Tony Brown, concussion, Limited participant if it would have been a full practice, and Braden Smith was a full go had it been a full practice. That just an estimation since yesterday was a walkthrough. Braden Smith is one that, you know, I, I don't think that we probably put enough emphasis on what happens when you just need stability of the same guys on the line, and Braden Smith's a pretty important part of that, right? Um, yeah, I mean, Blake Freeland's battling out there, but he's a rookie. You can only expect so much from him. That continuity that Smith brings has been lacking, especially, I mean, I don't want to say it's fully Smith with the run game because it's been the line as a whole, but yeah, I would like to have both in the passing and the run game more stability and more experience at the NFL level than what's being asked of Blake Freeland right now with Smith out. Right. Um, you know, their line, and I will defer to you on this, Jimmy, because I didn't get to see it. And I know that, like, Regent Brian will kill me for that. Um, I didn't get to see the Colts-Panthers game in terms of play to play to play. I mean, I know what happened. I saw the highlights of it. But the line play in that particular game in protecting Gardner Minshew, you would rate how? Well, considering how rough it had been 
the previous couple weeks, that's not where I would fully fault them. And I would also credit Gardner Minshew for ball security being improvement. Again, not saying much because it had been so bad. Nine turnovers in three games going into that. The bigger area where I would fault the offensive line is it looked like you finally got a separation workload day for Jonathan Taylor, at least in terms of the steady increase. He was above 75% of the snap count, and he's only averaging two and a half yards per carry, which for those that follow this team closely and know what Jonathan Taylor is capable of is putrid by his standards. Is it fair? Maybe not fully, but that's the bar that he set, and that's why he got paid what he did. And I don't think it's all on him. I think a lot of it is losing a battle in the trenches at times, and that starts up front to a Panthers defense that had been one of the worst in the league at maintaining defense against the run. So I don't know. It's a mixed bag at this point, but based on where the passing game was a couple of weeks ago to where it is now, I don't know that I would fully place blame on the O-line as much as I would in their ability or lack thereof to create holes for Jonathan Taylor, which is something that you're going to need to be able to do in Frankfurt this week. Um, and then, then you have the other side of that, which is this. It feels like a big game because it's the Patriots. But how bad are the Patriots, right? Very bad. I, I mean, it truly is. It did feel like in the early – and this is, this is where with Anthony Richardson – There has to be cautious optimism with Anthony Richardson because, look, in no way, shape, or form am I comparing the athletic traits and the ceilings of Anthony Richardson to Mac Jones. But I think that the NFL is a copycat league in the way that players play and styles that are used. You know, you look at like Andy Reid's offense in Kansas City and their ability to move the football and strike and catch lightning in a bottle and use guys in the slot that are not household names until they're working in that offense and then all of a sudden they're just getting them in space and they're they're killing you with speed. And now you see other teams trying to do, you know, Miami's doing that and they go out and they get some of those guys for that matter. And, you know, teams have figured out it's a copycat league, how to do what is the next big saucy thing. It's also a copycat league in terms of just the way sometimes you can estimate or or caution about a player's trajectory based on things that happened in years past. And by that, I mean this. Anthony Richardson absolutely looks the part. He has looked so far, Jimmy, like a guy that is indeed worthy of being the franchise quarterback. He looks like a guy that for sure you watched it and you went, yep, I can see why he went fourth overall. That's why they picked him. Now, the Colts have said or insinuated that had they had the number one overall pick, they would have taken Anthony Richardson. I think we now know that probably C.J. Stroud maybe would have been the safer play there. But Richardson has shown flashes of why we think he is going to be a guy that you're going to be able to buy an Anthony Richardson jersey right now for your kid as a fifth grader knowing that so long as he doesn't outgrow it he can wear it to games when he's a junior in high school right yeah not be embarrassed by it but didn't we feel that way about Mac Jones when I was doing the morning show with Kevin and the crew was in here for hard knocks and it was all the buzz and rage, the Colts and Patriots going head to head. And here are, you know, Jonathan Taylor's got to break an 80 yard run just to seal it because it was this literally collision course of 
two immovable forces in the Patriots who are off to a great start and the Colts who are off to a great start and national audience and everything else. And, and everybody is thinking to themselves, the Patriots went out and found their guy. Now we know it was Belichick, not Brady, because they've got this young quarterback and look at the way he's clicking and moving along and humming along. And Mac Jones looked like a guy that was just going to pick up. I'm not going to say he was going to be Tom Brady, but did he not, Jimmy, look in the beginning like a guy that it was for sure the mantle and the, the, you know, the, the legacy had been passed and he was going to be the franchise quarterback of the New England Patriots. He had a very strong at times rookie campaign where that felt evident but I will say, and this isn't hindsight talking, like Eddie and I, even though we were in different roles at the time, would discuss this frequently when we're having like water cooler conversations about where the NFL we have a water is. Water cooler? I mean, I use it as a metaphor. I don't think we actually do. <laughs> we do have a new water system, though. Um, but uh, that's a whole other conversation. Is it Connecticut? Uh, I think. I've seen Chris Denary hanging around feeding his dogs over on the fifth floor, <laughs> so that might be the case. <laughs> we had had conversations about Mac Jones, and like, I didn't feel the same buzz about Mac Jones or in terms of like upside and what he could develop into as Anthony Richardson, as C.J. Stroud, as other rookies in the past. All I felt like in the moment with Mac Jones that rookie year was maybe the Patriots have found stability at that position at a time when it looked like everything was going to collapse around them when Tom Brady left. But I was never at a point, it never felt that way for me. But I think the national conversation was because of how strong the rookie campaign was, hey, maybe this is the next guy for them. Right. And I just, I don't know that I, I didn't feel the same buzz with where he was drafted, with the expectations for him that I did this rookie class. I'm not saying same buzz. What I'm saying is the, the, the feeling of comfort or safety. You felt like if the New England Patriots three years ago were analyzing positions that they needed to upgrade moving forward that the possibility was there that they had kind of figured out quarterback and they knew who their guy was going to be for a couple of years. It was potentially good enough to build elsewhere. Yeah, I would agree. And now I think there's a lot of question as to whether or not this guy is going to be able to to start for another the rest of the season, right? Yeah, I mean, mean, he's been, if you want infuriating or if you're hate watching, like because I know the Colts-Patriots rivalry and egg still runs deep, like go look at Mac Jones' highlights from this year. The decision-making is awful. Like it, it, it's to the point where you look back at some of Gardner Minshew's decisions this year and you're like, wow, maybe maybe we have it OK this season. Like it's not been great. It's not been anything to write home about. It's part of the reason why there's whispers, perhaps, of Bill Belichick and his job security out Which there. Because is, is of, that it, not the craziest it's thing wild. ever? It's incredibly wild. But it's also a product of they put some faith in Mac Jones. And if they're wrong on this. Because of how important that position is, yes, they'll have a top pick next year and maybe they press the reset button, but it's a step back for where they thought they were in terms of this timeline post Tom Brady. I don't want to take the side of Mac Jones here, but like you go from having a legit offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien to going to Matt Patricia, who had never coached offense in his life. You have no real weapons to operate with. Your best player is Ramondre Stevenson and Hunter Henry. There's no real wide receiver. Juju Smith-Schuster's knee is all messed up, so he hasn't been good. And he just hasn't been the same since that rookie year. I think that's I think that's fair. right? I mean, but at the same time, Eddie, and this is what I say about the – this is why the quarterback position is the hardest to evaluate and why I think there's an advantage with Anthony Richardson. When Mac Jones was in college – 
you could make the argument. I'm not saying it's factual, but you could make the case fairly intelligently that he was a system quarterback. And I don't mean that to sell him short, but he's playing at Alabama where he is surrounded by elite-level talent across the board and guys all over the place that are going to play on Sunday. And so he had to basically keep his hands on the wheel. And, you know, he's not the one that's necessarily having to make the quick shifts and the changes in driving the car. He goes into the NFL, and maybe now we're learning whether or not, you know, at the beginning you thought, well, maybe he was kind of protected by a system. But now that things are changing a little bit and he's got to make those changes, this is the first time really that he's had to undergo that kind of a thing. Anthony Richardson, for example, I think there's an advantage in when they drafted Anthony Richardson knowing that he was coming out of a situation in Florida where he was not necessarily on a field with a bunch of dominant guys. That are, I mean, Florida's got some pretty good players, don't get me wrong. It's not Moorhead State. But he, but he's not throwing to guys. When you compare it to the rest of the SEC. Correct. Especially right? bigger bigger names in the SEC, even though Florida is a big name. But. So the learning curve for him might have been less. It might have been less steep because of the fact that he, he had to learn his way on the job at Florida to more detail than, say, a Mac Jones does at Alabama. That may be totally off base, but it feels that way, right? Yeah, and to work off of Eddie's point, but would go against it a little bit, but I thought there was good content within that, I don't know if you put Mac Jones with another, like even a a middle-tier wide receiver or give him a couple weapons. Michael Pittman. Yeah, if you put Michael Pittman Jr. out there, I don't know that you're going to see any better than you did from Mac Jones that rookie year, which was serviceable at best. Like even when Mac Jones had that rookie season, I didn't look at New England and think to myself, well, this guy now belongs in the conversation of the elite quarterbacks in the AFC, let alone the entire NFL. So I agree with Eddie. I think that Mac Jones has had some bad luck in terms of both coordinators and weapons around him. And a lot of that's on Bill Belichick, the GM, not helping out Bill Belichick, the coach. Right. But I don't know that if you put Mac Jones somewhere else, like if he was to sign with the Chargers, or I, I don't, I don't know that it's any better. It'd be a little better than it is now, but I don't know that it's any better than what we've already seen out of him. You know what's funny about Belichick, the GM, and where they are right now? Haven't there been years in the past where on draft day the Patriots like traded out of the first and second round and loaded up on all these like fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks, and people were like, "See, Belichick's a genius." He's the genius that, like, that's the thing about him. He loads up on these picks and he accumulates depth. And they've got a roster that just you plug in guys and everybody, you know, everybody buys in. And and I do think that he gets a lot of credit for that. But frankly, now it it kind of looks like a, a team that's loaded up with fifth and sixth round picks, right? I think that you're approaching a stage. And again, I don't know from a pride standpoint, from the legacies built standpoint, if he was willing to do it. But you've approached a stage where. I think Bill Belichick is still one of the brightest minds in the NFL when it comes to coaching. I think that he's still one of the brightest minds in the game in terms of getting the most out of the talent that he has in front of him. But I think that we're at a stage where that's all I would want him to do if I'm New England brass. I want a new But he blood. is New England brass, right? Correct. And that's the problem. Right. That's the conversation you have to have because I don't know that I'd want to get I wouldn't want to get rid of Bill Belichick the coach. Because I think if he still wants to coach, I don't think I know this. He gets, let's say he gets let go entirely, which I think is still pretty crazy to think about that. He gets scooped up in an instant. If I'm New England, I would like to try to readjust where we have somebody else that's making the talent evaluation final say, and he is just your X's and O's. Like, I, I still want that, but 
at what point post Tom Brady did they not look in the mirror and say, we're not there from a talent development standpoint than we were in the previous era. Maybe it's time for something new. Right. But he might not want to do that. And I wouldn't blame him. Once you once you have all the power, why would you give it up? Not only that, but you know, does Belichick really at this point want to surrender for somebody else to like kind of rebuild from the bottom? Twenty years younger than he is, exactly. that he doesn't know. Exactly. And not only that, but I mean, how much longer is he going to be around in, in general? Right. Right. I mean, well, from a coaching perspective, yes. Right. Yeah. So you know, you're like, hey, listen, I, you know, he's got his, he has an idea or a vision of where he wants things headed, and so he is going to work under that timeline as opposed to allowing all of a sudden somebody else to come in yeah. and reset the timeline altogether. But speaking of the New England Patriots and the Colts, I have a question. I have a kind of a, th- a weird thought and a theory about you Colts fans and the New England Patriots. And I want to put it to test. I want to present the theory about your thoughts on the New England Patriots and then have you guys grade me whether I'm out of my mind or not, at least in this particular equation. But I had this epiphany last night on my sleep deprivation about the state of this game on Sunday and psychologically speaking, how the thought process of Colts fans might have been impacted without them even knowing it. And I'll explain what I mean next. Tony East, by the way, also in 35 minutes. Thursday edition, Quarry and Company here, 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So the Colts on their way to Germany taking on the New England Patriots. Now, I always thought, do you know how to say hello in German, Jimmy? I always thought it was guten Tag. Is it not? I think that means like good day. So he, here's what hello is. And Eddie, you got my computer phone no, that, up there? Yeah, that's, but that, that is a greeting. This guten is, Tag is according, a greeting. According to Google Translation, hello. which never lies, I, I typed in hello and this is what it says. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Are, are you kidding me? Be Gates, how are I you? I had no idea that Germans speak, everything's English in Germany. I have level one high school German uh and it's not doesn't go very far. So does that mean that that a popular Coldplay song over there is yellow? <laughs> is that how that works? We can get a poll out there. I, I thought I thought for sure. Uh, but before we get to my theory about the Colts and Patriots, let's go to the phone lines where Derek is on his way to Germany. Uh, Derek, hello. Hello to you, uh, Jake and Jimmy and Eddie. How you guys doing today? So are you in Germany now? No, I am on the highway headed to the airport. My flight leaves at 2. I'm running late. so. Wait, 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 hold on. Your flight leaves at 2 p.m.? Yes. Do you have TSA pre-approved? Yes, I do. I'm checked in. I got TSA and everything, so I will breeze through there. I'm yeah, you're pretty – how far are you from the airport? About 45 minutes. Ooh. Eee, hang on. But I'm almost there, so no worries. I just wanted to call in. And, wait, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to figure this out here, Derek. It's twelve thirty-three, and your your ETA to the Indianapolis International Airport. Now, are you being dropped off or are you parking? Oh, I'm parking. Uh, my ETA is twelve fifty-six. Okay, so you're going to park at twelve fifty-six. Where are you parking? I will, since I'm running so late. I will park in the covered parking. Okay, nice. I did that. Not, not bad. Um, and then you are going to be in Germany for how long? I will be there until Monday. So leaving out Monday morning. You checking a bag? Doing the same thing the Colts are doing. 
Yeah, are you checking a bag? Good question. Uh, checking two bags. Yeesh. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> what is I have it? this planned out. I, I, I have all kind of um, status with American Airlines, so I'll breeze through. Well... I think it'll be fine. I think it's thirty. Is it thirty minutes for domestic? It's it's only forty five to Frankfurt, Indiana, which might be where you're watching the game. <laughs> um, okay, so Derek, how many people are going to Germany with you? Um, my friend, who um, I went to college with, one of my best friends from Ole Miss, he's going. Um, he came here for the Saints game. So, he's a Saints fan. So let me ask you this, if you don't mind me asking, all told, what are we looking at, like for tickets? How much it cost you? I, I got lucky on a pre-sale for season ticket holders because the Colts were going to get what, maybe 800 and that, that was going to the friends, family, uh, the staff, players, whoever wants those. But I got lucky and got a pre-sale email for season ticket holders, and I got in and got them for two tickets for 225 euros each. Wow. Each. Okay, so that's like two, two, two forty-five, two fifty, something like that each. Okay. And then uh, the flight was not expensive, right? You're not, are you flying first class? I wish I could. Uh, my flight, I had a lot of American Airlines points. My flight was 43,000 points. That's not bad, actually. Round trip. That's not bad. And I just figured my out. Ho- my hotel is 55,000 points. Okay, so you're doing okay. So that's not bad. All right. Well, we expect a full report when you get back. Travel safely. Um, th- there's a little contraption you can buy that prohibits the person in front of you from reclining their seat. It's very rude, but it's very effective. Um, but enjoy the flight and then enjoy the game. All right, and enjoy the jet lag. Uh, I will, but it will, it will not be anybody sitting in front of me. I am on an exit row seat. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, I'm glad to know that everybody's safety is in your hands. That's good. All right, Derek, enjoy. We'll talk to you when you get back. So here's my question. You don't have that. About, what's that? You don't have that contraption. I have a friend that does, and he used it going to Germany. I could, now, here's the thing. On my flight to, not on the way to Amsterdam, but my flight from Indy to Philadelphia, I'm 6'4", right? The person in front of me was the only seat on the entire plane that reclined, <laughs> that reclined themselves. And, and I have nothing against this group. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it was a little person. Okay. Sure. And they reclined. It was and I'm a like, child? No, it was a little person. I don't, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Right? I am okay for an international nothing, nothing flight against- if you want to. I'm pivoting away. I I I am okay on an international flight if you're going to recline. Domestically, oh. I never do it. Like domestically, I, I I try my best to not do it unless it is clear that everybody around me has caved. Kind of like if you're at a sporting event and people start to stand up. Okay, then we'll start. Here's to do the it. key, and sure. then my my theory on the Colts and Patriots. The key is this: if you listen, what if you are planning on taking a long flight? Listen to this now, and if there's nothing else on this program you ever remember, remember this. What would you constitute as a long flight? How many hours? Over an ocean. Okay. So an international flight. Okay. Uh, Six or more. Six or more hours. If you're taking a big enough plane that has the three, three, and three all the way back, so three rows, you know, in one row there are three, uh, two aisles down it. If you book early enough and you're not flying in first class if you book early enough and you're flying in coach the last row of the plane is a two-seater there are only two seats in the row so you get the aisle and then what normally would be the middle seat has an open space between you and the window 
So the person sitting in one of those seats can put their bag next to them, can stretch their legs out, can even probably lay down in that little area. The person on the left has the aisle there. They've got more room. It is like sitting in comfort coach, but you are in the very back and you're paying, and, and statistically speaking, safest area of the plane, just so you know. It's a good life hack there. So there you go. Were there okay. any impatient people in your flight? To and from? Well, I was in the very back, so I didn't have anybody behind me. That so was trying you to were the impatient person no, trying no, no. to get in front of other people, huh? I had, I had a long layover, so I was completely fine, just like, let's just chill here, right? It was cool. It was good. On the way there, slept, actually, the majority of the flight. So the New England Patriots forever have been the arch nemesis rival of the Indianapolis Colts. If you were to ask Colts fans, who is your biggest rival? In the era of the Indianapolis Colts, it is unquestionably the New England Patriots. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say that from a professional standpoint, there is no franchise in this town more hated than the New England Patriots. Sure, there are a lot of people that don't like the St. Louis Cardinals, but there's also a lot of Cardinal fans here. I think you could have had a conversation before the Patriots rivalry reached where it did, obviously, for Knicks. Pacers, but well, that's I what I was going to say. Sure, yeah, the New York right. Knicks, but but that was in the mid nineties, and, and I mean now you, I think when people talk about their hatred for the Knicks, they're talking about their hatred for that era. I don't know that people today are like, man, I can't stand that Tom Thibodeau. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, <laughs> for sure, the Knicks would be the Pacers from an NBA standpoint. That's it, right? Um, and at its apex, it might have even been more so than Colts Patriots, but Colts Patriots. Colts Patriots still exist. And when we take our road trip, our Thursday road trip coming up here in about an hour and we talk to Greg Bedard, Greg Bedard who covers the Patriots, you know, I might ask him to, to shed light on the fact that I don't know from the Patriots standpoint that they would say the Colts. The Colts would definitely say the Patriots. I don't know that Patriots would say that they had a rivalry with the Colts. They had a rivalry with Peyton Manning. And so I wonder this. Has the rivalry now shifted away from you realize that it's not necessarily in the post Tom Brady playing era Peyton Manning and Tom Brady were Manning versus Brady Boardwalk Park Place Ferrari Lamborghini right constant debate and people here hated Tom Brady they hated Deflategate they hated the fact that Brady was a good looking guy they hated the fact that Brady had the multiple rings that they felt were actually entitled to Peyton Manning. They hated the fact that Manning had the statistics, but but Brady had the hardware. And they hated the fact that when it came to the conversation of the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady represented an impediment towards a unanimous discussion that the greatest quarterback in the history of football played right here the majority of his career in the city of Indianapolis. And so that then, when you factored in the smugness of Brady, the snarkiness of him, the fact that he was the guy that guys loved to hate. He was Jake Ryan with touchdown passes and a supermodel wife after he actually had children with another attractive actress. He was everything that that people would be envious of. And we loved to hate him. And he was a hateable guy with, like, the punchable face, right? Even though he's a good-looking guy. But he's smug. Just seemed smug. Everything went his way. Tuck rule goes his way. Everything went his way, right? Deflate gate, everything. He's Teflon. But then he goes to Tampa and he wins there and he takes a cruise and he gets drunk and he comes off it during the parade and he's throwing the Lombardi around and, and now people dislike him even more. 
But then a funny thing happened, Jimmy. All of a sudden, without cognizantly doing it or holding a press conference to make the announcement, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, basically through the course of about a year and a half worth of actions and different things, pull the curtain wide open and let everybody know, guess what? We actually were buddies all along. We actually are the two guys. Tom loves Peyton and Peyton loves Tom. And Brady starts appearing on the Manning cast and Brady starts appearing on all kinds of things, talking about Peyton Manning and making fun of himself. And Brady's doing like little, little bit things to kind of poke fun at himself. And then you find out also that his running mate in doing that is Rob Gronkowski. And actually Gronk was like kind of a guy just having fun as well. That was the joke was on everybody else. They had the match. They're playing golf together. Totally. Right. So all of a sudden, people are like, you know what? This Brady dude, actually, I don't like him as a player, but I can't hate him as a dude because my hero kind of likes him. Darn it. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that he's actually a decent dude. Dang it. I don't want to hear that. And then you throw in the factor that like more and more is made about like everything that he overcame from looking like Doughboy at the Combine and running around. He's wearing like Fruit of the Looms and, you know, it was embarrassing. And, you know, and, the, and people are like, I kind of like this story. So, do you think that it is possible now, Jimmy, that people realize all along, it wasn't the New England Patriots they hated. And it wasn't even Teddy Bruschi they hated or Tom Brady. It's simply the fact they hated Bill Belichick. And now, the rivalry actually is less fun for Colts fans because Bill Belichick sucks. And his team's not doing well. And it's like, well, there's no fun in hating that. It's too easy. It's low-hanging fruit now. And it almost feels like the wind have come, come out of the sails to the point where Colts Patriots has become like Pacers Knicks in the fact that we realize it's not a current day rivalry, but rather a rivalry that is chasing the ghost of the past. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I would also add in, and you mentioned at the tail end there, all rivalries, unless you're a, a true staple of year over year over year and have rich history is still back it up. Always animosity in Cowboys 49ers. Always animosity in Red Sox Yankees. You feel it here in the state with IU Purdue. Unless you are a rivalry that has stood the test of time year over year over year, you become the victim of what happens to a lot of players, which is father time is undefeated. And eventually, one or two of the teams regress. Colts have clearly done that. Patriots have clearly done that. And Yes, there's still animosity and bad blood on the pages of the history, but you can't be a real rivalry unless there's a consistent threat or a successful piece on one side of the table to truly hate. And Bill Belichick is still kind of that in terms of his legacy, but they don't have the substance to show for right. it in about four or five right. years. Like, at this point, it almost feels like wasted energy to dislike the guy because it's like, I'm not going to say he's irrelevant. I'm not sitting here trying to like talk jazz about the and create some drama about the New England Patriots. I'm just saying like they're kind of out of sight, out of mind, aren't they? Yes. Even though it was only a couple of years ago when like it, it was at fever pitch again, right? It was only a couple of years ago where... Like Jonathan Taylor, it feels like he slayed the dragon of that rivalry. Yeah, you could give him that. I would also say, though, that the NFL, to your point, Jake, has passed them by. It wasn't but a couple years ago where that entire division was a laughing stock, except for them. And now they're the only laughing stock, and every other team in the AFC East appears to have competence, let alone just playoff contention. Right. Like each one of those franchises, as it stands over the last two seasons, 
are better than New England has been over that span. That's not something that you said for 20 years. And now they're in this waiting period of what is the next iteration going to be? I have put up a poll on our Twitter, at query underscore company. Nice. Is the Colts and Patriots rivalry still alive? Or is it more so hatred towards Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? Go vote. Yes or no? It expires tomorrow. They have gone the way of all the other rivalries that have been with the major sports teams in this town. Pacers-Knicks, Pacers-Heat. Like, it's the same thing. Like, we're, what, nine years removed from one of those matchups? Eight years removed from the last time they really went head-to-head in the playoffs? That's not a thing anymore. Like, sure, people remember the the beat-the-heat days, and I'm sure they still don't like Miami, but, like, those days are gone. It happens. Unless you're a true sports rivalry, as iconic as the ones we already mentioned, eventually it fades away. Do you remember when that clown Dave Benz got fired from Fox 59 for posting Miami Heat bumper stickers all over town? You guys weren't here for that probably. During one of the Heat Pacers playoff series, Dave Benz, who had worked in Miami and was he was a good dude, but he was kind of a goofy guy, uh, he, he was working from the inside for the Miami Heat video board people in American Airlines Arena. And so he helped put together a video where he placed heat bumper stickers in like Peyton Manning's locker and got video of it on the Yard of Bricks, got video of it or like around town. And then they played it during the heat game. And they found out it was Dave Benson. Fox 59 was like, you know, we appreciate the effort. We appreciate your services. And then they sent the email out. Uh, effective today, Dave no longer works here. We thank him for his contributions. <laughs> At least that's my understanding. And then he went on to a very successful career as an NBA play-by-play guy, so good for him. Uh, we'll continue the conversation about this, couple phone calls as well, and then Tony East coming up in 13 minutes. It's Quarry Company. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So Creed's going to be at Ruoff on August 10th, and we have tickets to give away, right, Eddie? Yes, we've got uh, two other pairs after this one. So Colts are going for win number five, so I'll take color number five. I just wondered this. Is it two other pairs or pair? Two other pairs. Is pair plural pair? I mean, I guess it is, A pair, so. I usually go plural, yeah. So you have a pair, which would be two, but if you have four, that's that's two different pairs. Two pairs. Right, okay. Okay. Do you not, like not not the food, but do you like pears? Can't say that I've ever really tried a pear, so can't say I do or do not. Excuse me? <laughs> I haven't tried a pear. <laughs> They're fine. I prefer wait, wait, apples, wait, wait, but wait, pears wait. are fine. You've <laughs> never eaten a pear. Nope. What are you, Al Michaels? <laughs> How have you never eaten a pear? By the way, he's coming back know. next year. If you saw that, is he really? He said yeah. so. He said it in an interview yesterday. His contract, ex- his contract ends after twenty four. Oh, so righteous bucks. You've never had a pear? No. You've had apples, right? Yes. Grapefruit? Yes. Uh, what about what? What's the one um, uh, ugly fruit? Have you had that? Ugly fruit? Yeah, U G L I. No, I've never even heard that of one. that. Star fruit? You had that? Passion fruit is everything. No, kind of like that. Uh, star fruit? No. Coconut? Yes, hate coconut. Hate coconut. Yeah. How long have you been a communist? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Who's never? That's enough of that. Hair? Like, didn't they serve pears in school? Didn't you have to eat pears in school? I feel like that was in the rotation at some point with your oranges and your peaches, that pears were there at some point in time, yeah? Yeah. I always went for oranges, peaches, grapes, cantaloupe, watermelon. Eddie refused to have pear because he thought that he was going to have two of them. I don't know. He was confused. They only gave him one. I didn't want to go to lunch at school and try something new and not like it. Next thing you know, I'm out of side. 
So I'd rather have the side that I know I'm going to like and eat it. Do you know where young cantaloupes go for the summer? Oh, gosh. Where is this going? They go to John Cougar's Melon Camp. Okay. (laughs) I I can't believe you've never had a pair. No? Um, We got the tickets to give away, but let's check in with Matthew real quick because Matthew can give us a good perspective. Matthew, you are in New England, correct? Yes. Okay. So you're you're in Maine, correct? And our, our thoughts with everybody still in Maine. Uh, I, I'm curious, though, you became a Colts fan. For those that are unfamiliar, this is Matthew in Maine who became a Colts fan because you were a fan of Adam Vinatieri and then followed his career to Indianapolis. Um, amongst the people that you interact with, whether it be at the pub where you work or just talking sports in general, what is the Patriot perspective about the Colts? Is it a rivalry to people there, or is it like, no, it used to be, but not anymore? The rivalry ended a decade ago when Peyton stopped played it. So it's, <laughs> the perspective from here is they don't know who you are or who the Colts are. Wow, okay. Now what about for you? For you, it's got to be still real, right? Because you're immersed right in the thick of it, right? Yeah, it's. I'm glad the rivalry ended just because where I the Patriots were my first love, and then I grew up to marry the Colts. I don't have the same hatred for New England as born and bred Colts fans do, just a disdain from them. But obviously not treated very well up here during the active Manning Brady years because when I switched in 06, the Colts immediately won a Super Bowl. Oh, so you're the reason. Hell yeah. <laughs> when you come back, Matthew, you come back for the mini marathon. We're giving you the key to the city. We're going to meet you on Monument <laughs> Circle and present you with the official key to Indianapolis. And obviously, Colts fans will like pay for you to come back now. I didn't know that. Matthew, the reason for the Super Bowl, right? I said Booger McFarlane all those years. It's Matthew. It's Matthew. Matthew's the main reason, right? Entertain and educate. You never know what we're going to exactly cover Exactly what here. we try to do. It's educate and entertain. Get it the other way around. I'm Come on, Jenny. Well, sorry, we're going to educate about the Pacers and hope they entertain tonight because Tony East is next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I told this story on a different day part in this radio station when I was doing the morning show, but every time I hear ELO now, which is who this is, the Electric Light Orchestra, was this Tony East's request? No, he didn't give me anything. You just went with the, uh, this is a great song. Yeah, he can't bring me down, so. I was interviewing Tom Allen, head football coach at Indiana, who of course his mantra is LEO, and I'm like, you know, and Tom Allen would be like, I mean, I don't know how old Tom Allen is, but ELO was a, a band primarily of the mid to late 70s into the early 80s. Probably around the time when Tom Allen was like in college, and I'm like, "So, Coach, I know you're a fan of LEO, but are you also a fan of ELO?" And he's like, "What's that?" And I'm like, "ELO, the band Electric Light Orchestra." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with them." I'm he's like, 53. Okay, 53. So he born grad- in 70. So he graduated from. He's 53. You said. Yeah. Yeah. So he graduated from high school in like 88. So he would have been like in same age as he's three years older than I am, right? And I'm like, okay. I think you've explained that story before when you guys were at. Uh, he has, the, and I feel like you're very, you're very Hardwood devastated in that moment. Festival. That's right. That's right. The Hoosier Hardwood. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Anytime that song comes on, I think of it. It's tough, man. I it, like. I've worked. The only guy that's worked more places than me is the guy joining us on the program. Uh, Tony East has a business card that reads like a CVS receipt. He's with SI Forbes WTHR and Locked On Pacers. Right? Did I get all those right, Tony? That's that's perfect. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um. 
First off, man, thanks for joining us. Big test tonight. Uh, you know, the Pacers are on a back-to-back, but if I'm not mistaken, is Milwaukee on a back-to-back also? Yeah, they played Detroit, and they won by two. It was tight all night, so they didn't get the rest of their guys as much. Yeah, so that, and that's a true back-to-back because you're going on the road, which is more difficult. But let, let's start with last night. Um, maybe it's hard to tell when you're assessing against the Jazz, but was there anything that jumped out at you last night that you saw as – a new sign of good news for Indiana that we had not yet seen before. Yes, Ben Matherin, the whole, his whole game. <laughs> um, and, it's, you know, he's had good passing games this season. He's a good rebounding guard in general. But to put it all together with a good scoring night, right, he had 22, that was his season high. And defend the level he did on the ball specifically. Um, it was his best game of the season. Carlisle on the podium said it was the best he's played in two years, right, that's his whole career. And it's just kind of – it was kind of the merging of what Ben Matherin can be and what the Pacers hope he can do for them for the first time, right, where you see him moving the ball well and playing within their offensive style with the team, making plays for others, breaking down a defense, grabbing the ball off the rim and making plays while still being Ben Matherin and scoring. And some of that was just that he made his threes. He was four of seven from deep, but he still was shoving it down their throats. And so the fact that he had that kind of night, especially when, you know, his thing last year was getting to the line. He didn't even attempt a free throw. So to have that kind of game and to be that useful for the offense was really important because we hadn't seen that yet this season where he plays his kind of game and also does the new stuff the Pacers are, are having him work on. Rick Carlisle's been talking about him a lot this week, right, and, and what he can do when he plays like that, and he showed it in that game. It was, it was his best game of the year. Tony East with us, covers the Pacers for Sports Illustrated and hosts the Locked on Pacers podcast. Tony, you and I have talked about this in the past. That version of Benedict Matherin, if you can make that a nightly appearance, that is the type of step forward that you want to see from him in a sophomore campaign. It would be unfair, I think, to expect him to deliver yet again in that same way against Milwaukee tonight. So let's phrase it this way. Where is a fair mark to judge him now that we've seen that, now that we've seen another evolution to his potential in terms of over this next, let's say, four or five games, where is it a measuring stick to see if he can sustain that? Yeah, the measuring stick statistically to me is passing, right? Just that he keeps that up. You know, I think that the, the, the play that I'll point to probably for the rest of the season, to be honest, when they played the Cavs in season tournament game, like he had a drive, and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are under the basket waiting for him, and he just threw it perfect skip pass to the corner, right? And it's like that wasn't something Ben Matherin is doing last year. Even if the passes. Like, it's going to be tough because statistically you can't always track it with assists for him, but, like, he's pa- you just got to watch and know that he's passing better, making good decisions. Like, last night, he would – the Jazz were switching everything in the first half. That's why Miles Turner had such a good half. And Matherin was consistently, like, making the right read and throwing it into the post and, like, making good entry passes. And that's just stuff that's, like, he's reading the game way better when he catches the ball. And that's kind of stuff you have to see to know that he's doing and, and showing continued growth in that way. But – you know, I think if you had to look at a stat to show progress, to show that he's still doing all these things that he needs to do to both be himself and be really good for the Pacers, it'd be his assistant in general, his total passes per game, which are both up this year. Tony, I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked a few people over the last week or so. So maybe I'm like obsessing over it. it, it <laughs> I'm just curious about this. Um Daniel Tice not necessarily being in the rotation, is that telling us something about Daniel Tice or is that simply telling us something about the fact that he plays a position of two young players that they are still assessing? Yeah, you know, I I was wondering before the season, like, 
how much we'd learned from that decision of the backup five and how important it was to get it right for the Pacers. And what Rick Carlisle has said for every single minute's battle for the team is someone has to earn it, right? And Tice had this awesome summer with Germany where if you, if you count that in the earning it category, maybe he played well enough in the summer to earn a look. But in terms of just with the Pacers and in the preseason and every, basically every step of the way since this campaign started, Jalen Smith's just been better, right? Jalen Smith has been amazing for the Pacers this season. He, was, he played more than Miles Turner last night. He was fantastic. And so I don't even know that what it says about Tice necessarily versus where the Pacers are headed, right? They chose young guys at every position battle, right? T.J. McConnell, Andrew Mars is the backup one, right? Daniel Tice, nope, they chose a young guy as their backup five. And, that, and that's fine. You know, Matherin's starting, Buddy Heald is not, right? They, they, they're clearly still thinking long-term while trying to win within the construct of their team. And so they, they are, that is part of the decision. And I think the other part is that Jalen Smith's just been better, right? As good as Tice has shown he can be in certain settings with the Celtics and with Germany, with the Pacers, they started Tice in that preseason game. He didn't make a shot. He had some foul trouble. Jalen Smith was amazing in that game. He's been really fantastic as the backup five ever since. I think it just shows, you know, even if they think Tice might be the smallest hair better than their other young backup five, is that gap big enough to play the veteran over the young guy on a developing team? Absolutely not. And Jalen Smith's probably even better than he could be for them so far this season. So I just think it says a lot about, one, how well Jalen Smith has played because Rick Carlisle has stressed that guys have to earn it, and two, the direction the team is headed. And I think it's the right choice. How close are we, if at all, to seeing Jalen Smith taking over Obi Toppin's spot in the starting five? Oh, I don't think that's – I mean, they tried the Jalen Smith at the four thing last year, and it didn't work right. But um, maybe certain matchups, like tonight, funnily enough, tonight um, against Giannis, they need some some bulk to put on him, right? Toppin did well against Wemba, but Giannis is all power and not the – finesse of Wembenyama, so that's a little tougher. I don't think we'll see Jalen Smith start this season. I mean, they tried him starting him with the four last year. I think it was 27 times in the end. It was basically up till Christmas before they switched to Aaron Neesmith starting more often at the four, and they got Andrew Demhart in there and just went smaller. And it didn't really work, right? It just It is not as natural for him. He is a very good rebounder. He's better on the rim. And he's shooting better this year, so maybe – that would be their reason to try it is that they can believe in his shot a little more. But if his shot goes away, then, you know, you're not, maybe you're not as willing to try that as the Pacers. And I don't think they, I don't think they will do that. I don't, I don't think that's something that is going to cross their minds. Tony East is our guest talking about the Pacers. Tony, which, if Buddy healed, and I don't know that this is, I think it's starting to trend this way. If Buddy Heald becomes a trade deadline possibility for Indiana to, to flip into picks, which would be the bigger, the bigger factor in them letting him go? A, the fact that it looks like there is still some separation on what he would like in an extension of what the Pacers would like to pay. Or B, Aaron Neesmith's continued evolution of becoming perhaps the primary off-bench scorer for them. I think it's the contract. Um, the contract situation – Deadlines is what leads to action a lot in the NBA, and you know, you I, I suppose if they're playing very well and they're you know top five in the East, maybe they don't care as much about not getting value long term for Buddy Hield, and they'd rather ride it out for the rest of the season. But I mean, you, you know, they, they can't lose guys for nothing in their spot, assuming you know maybe they're better than everybody thinks, and it doesn't matter as much. But you know, teams in their position don't typically think like that. Like even last year. 
they, they didn't they didn't do a ton of the deadline with the the Wara trade with the Bucks, but you know, Rick Carlisle even said like, yeah, you know, if Miles had not extended, this would have been something totally different when he was talking about the trade deadline, right? Like expiring contracts are thought of differently when that time of year comes, and that's what Buddy Hill's situation is. He's he's on an expiring deal. There's no extension currently in place. Um, it can happen during the season, so it's not like a, a done conversation yet, I suppose. But if, if nothing happens, I think they have to consider trading him. It's what smart teams do in their situation, and maybe they're playing so well and they need him, and they think, no, we'd rather just continue with what we have. But, yeah, they have guys off the bench, like you said, who can fill his spot. I think that's going to matter a little. But to me, it it almost always comes down to the contract situation and what it means for your team long term. And they can't afford to lose anybody for nothing. I don't know what Buddy Hill's value will be on an expiring deal with only three months left, but that's they'll let the market figure that out and make the right move. You like what you've seen out of Bruce Brown thus far? Yeah, I think that the thing that Bruce Brown does so well is just fills whatever role they need, right? Sometimes. See, now hold on, Tony. I'm going to cut you off there, right? Um, okay. And that, that makes it sound like I'm picking on you. I'm not. I want to. I want to play Freud here. The the yeah answer. There's there's two like ways to interpret that. The first is yeah, which means like emphatically. Oh, absolutely. He's made a difference. The other is yeah, which is like yeah. I can see the flashes of why they brought him in, but it has yet to permanently like stick. Of like okay, yes, that's in fact why he's here. Now, am I overthinking that? No, you're not. It, the second one is more accurate for me personally. Like, I get why he's here. He plays every role they need, right? Secondary creator. Sometimes he's the primary creator. Some games he's shooting great. His defense clearly on guards is valuable, right? All that stuff that they signed him for has just been super obvious. It's just sometimes they turn to someone else for those roles. And so he's not on the, you know, he doesn't have to do it all the time. Um, but yeah, I think it's been clear, like, what he does well and how he helps the team and, like has clearly been additive and someone Rick Carlisle really trusts to do a lot of stuff. So I think he, you can see where his positive impact is. It's just like sometimes they think Neesmith or Nemhard's the defensive option instead, or sometimes Nemhard's the secondary guy with the ball or Matherin. So the, it, it's kind of like they just have so much depth that him being the Swiss Army knife isn't always the best choice, but he's never a bad choice, and that's where he's been helpful. It's just been kind of interesting to see how they choose that balance. But I think he's played well for them. I truly do. Sports Illustrated's Tony East is our guest, covers the Pacers for them, and hosts Locked on Pacers podcast. Tony, you've discussed this in the past about in an NBA that has switched to kind of the NBA jam mantra of who is going to be the number two or the Robin to Tyrese Halliburton's Batman. And in those discussions, it's been a who's who because it feels like at any given night, a second option can come to the table and contribute at a high level. Is that mentality sustainable with teams? with this team or in other words does it matter if there's not a clear defined two if they're going to be this deep and this effective on a nightly basis offensively yeah your second point was the one that i i have made and will continue to make last night was the perfect example right halberton did not score in the first half right and they were up seven at halftime and he played well still he was drawing attention and had seven assists but matherin stepped up as a score and turner stepped up as a score and Mason stepped up as a score all three of those guys climb over 20 points last night right and so it doesn't – to me, it doesn't matter who the number two is in a given game for the Pacers. They have so much depth that a lot of guys can do it. We've had, seen Neesmith have some big scoring nights this year. Turner's had some big scoring nights this year. Matherin just had his first big one. Like, if someone – Bruce Brown on opening night 24 against the Wizards, right? If someone steps up in his number two, that's all the Pacers need, just someone to do it. And they have 
Uh, you pick your number, four, five, six guys who could be that guy every night. And so that's where I think their, their strengths can be is that, especially because as they describe their offense as random, it could just be somewhat different depending on the matchups, depending on how they're playing. And they didn't even need Halliburton to be amazing against Utah. They still won. Now, the other thing it can be is it doesn't have to be an offensive success story. It can be someone stepping up on defense and slowing down the other team's best players. That's what happened on Monday. Obi Toppin had his best defensive game for the Pacers by far in their win over the Spurs. And so they didn't need a second guy to have a terrific offensive game. They defended the Spurs pretty well. They gave up 111 and won that game. So there's a lot of ways it can go to me. And, of course, in a perfect world, they'd have a clear, awesome number two guy who can always have that role and be counted on. But in their current state with a lot of young developing talent, having a lot of guys who can be your number two, I think is smart. It makes a lot of sense. Milwaukee, the opponent tonight, they've still struggled to find themselves both offensively and defensively in a world without Drew Holiday, despite the addition of Damian Lillard. The Pacers, as you mentioned, have found themselves a bit the last couple of games defensively, albeit against opponents that you might think on paper they're better than. How will they be tested against Milwaukee tonight, and what is a fair angle to look at this team and say, maybe they are putting it together defensively. What will we need to see tonight against the Bucks? Yeah, flimsy Bucks, right? Six and two, but they don't look like it <laughs> if you watch them. It's very strange. Um, of course, the honest is the Pacers kryptonite has been for years and years. They've beaten them once since 2018 in a game, which is just ridiculous. So that's, of course, a good test to see is – can they? Do they have any answers for him now? Their Pacers have a little more size in the front court, but can, do they have to switch up lineups? Can Neesmith actually do it at his height? Right, that'll be a good limit test. But in general, the way the Bucks play this year, kind of something that I think is interesting for the Pacers to go against and kind of be tested by. Right, they get to the line a ton more than any team in the league, but they don't rebound well. They never pass. Right, they're 29th in assists per game. They're they're just numbers from last year are very different with the new head coach and a new lead star. So for the Pacers, it's like they they play, they're trying to be better one-on-one defense and defending pick and rolls with two guys doing that against a team that likes to run two man actions and isolations with their stars. They're going to have to be on their a game in ways that they've been working on all season. And sometimes that stuff hasn't been there for them. So I think we're going to learn a lot about the Pacers defensive growth in this game, right? The bucks have always been tough for them. Jay Crowder, Chris Milton, those guys can shoot. If Chris Milton plays, like they're a really tough matchup for the Pacers, but it'll also be a good test of their defensive scheme, what they're able to do, because the Bucks have a ton of good ISO scores, and the Pacers have been trying to get better defending one-on-one. So, Tony East, here's the most important question of the day. The Wicked Witch of the East is the one that the house falls on and she dies, and then her sister, the Wicked Witch of the West, is evil throughout the Wizard of Oz, or the Wicked Witch of the West is the one that dies when the house falls on her, and the Wicked Witch of the East is the one that tortures Dorothy. You had it right the first time. The Wicked Witch of the East has the house fall on her. And the Wicked Witch of the West has revenge on her mind, right? Yes. And then that Glinda is the Good Witch of the North, right? Yes. And then do we know who the Good Witch of the South is? I don't know if we have a – that's a good question. Does it seem like an oxymoron to be a good witch? Yes, it does. Doesn't it? Yes, it does. It seems that seems like you know. In all honesty, there should be a, a sandwich shop somewhere that's just called Glinda's because it's the Good Witch, right? This is the kind of stuff I think about at night. This is a this is a million dollar idea, is it not? We're it doesn't seem like you're jiving with my idea. 
What's that? Were you ever Were you ever in marketing before? That was pretty good. <laughs> See, somebody's going to steal my. This is the problem. Somebody's going to steal my idea. I'm going to be driving down Meridian Street next week, and there's going to be a Glenda's <laughs> sand. It's probably going to be a steak and lemonade joint, and it's going to be called Glenda's. I'm going to be like, why is that? Because like, we're the Good Witch. <laughs> can they sell? Can they sell like? A, like an umwitch, like an unwitch, I get Jimmy John's and because it's green with the lettuce, they can call it the alphabet, and then yes, we go. got it all. See, again, it, th- here's the thing if it's a good witch, it's an unwitch in general, right? Because it's not actually a witch, <laughs> correct? The whole thing is, a, is an unwitch, that's the whole point. <laughs> I did not expect to go down this path. I saw, I saw Wicked, uh, the music yeah, you expected to go down a yellow brick road, which again I'm is all over. you know, I'm all on. over it. I got the names ready, I got the plot line in my head, I got this. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Uh, tonight, Milwaukee in town. I, I don't know, um, Tony. I mean, are we going to see, you know, quote unquote, load management from the Bucks tonight, or is this going to be a pretty good test for the Pacers? Middleton did not play last night. They've been dealing with injuries with him all season that they've been kind of managing. They don't have an injury report out yet because teams don't do it as early in the day on back to back. So I don't really know uh, what they're going to do or what they're going to be thinking. I think this is their first true run road back-to-back like you said earlier this season so I mean I'm hopeful as someone who likes watching good basketball players play that they'll play all their guys but Ames 34 Brooke Lopez is 36 Middleton's hurt I mean it wouldn't surprise me but they can't rest more than two in the same game now with the new rules anyway so we'll see some of the Bucks best players tonight for sure I was going to ask you with this game being on TNT does that have any or not TNT but NBA TV does that have any impact on them not being able to rest Damian Lillard uh, I think that PPP is still in effect for All-Stars regardless of national TV. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know if NBA TV counts. That's a good question. You know, I was just thinking about this. For desserts at Glenda's Witch Shop, <laughs> the Good Witch, the dessert, are you ready for this? Please. The dessert, of course, you can get yourself a, a yogurt and, and fruit thing combined, and that, of course, is called the Twister, right? I mean, it, it's endless. It's endless, the stuff that we can do here. You have the power as chairman of the board of this Fortune 500 company over here. I don't know why you're not acting. Tony, aren't you thrilled that you got brought into this conversation? This is actually what I enjoy thinking about, too. So yeah, Tony, do you have a title? Do you have a title with the company? Have we hired you yet? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm just here for Jake to bounce pun ideas off of, so whatever that's called. <laughs> you're, the, you're the indirect director of puns. How's that? <laughs> When I see you tonight at the game, because I will be there tonight, Tony, I want you to come up and give me your best pun. David Letterman was there last night. Did you get a chance to talk to David Letterman? I didn't, but I saw Rick Carlisle walk up and chat with him after the game, and I'm dying to know what that conversation was about. Uh, David Letterman went to Working Man's Friend, apparently, for lunch. Had a couple of buddies from Ripple with him and went to the pastry. How awesome is that? That's why Letterman's the best, man. That's why he's the best. And a great restaurant choice by Letterman. It is. of course. Well... He was Letterman was a huge fan of Steak and Shake, huge fan of Steak and Shake, and uh, I don't know if you know or not, but you know they've had some issues. So he went to Working Man's Friend. Good choice for sure. <laughs> I have heard, yeah. You know, you know why you know why Steak and Shakes had issues, Tony. Just so you know, they didn't use the idea of calling their place Glinda's, which is the Good Witch, <laughs> and then people would have gone for their steak burger. Is I'm just late for a rebrand. Can, can you yeah, guys tell I'm a little sleep deprived? <laughs> no, it's like the morning show all over again. Tony, appreciate it. We'll see you there tonight, all right? Of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's Tony, the not-so-wicked witch of the East. Can I ask a question? Yes, sir. Because I'm going to try to dive into the mine. I know it's a dangerous game, but I'm going to play it anyway. You want to dive into the mine, I understand. Jimmy? I understand. 
Did, Lord help us. Did we get to the point of asking him about the Wizard of Oz? And maybe I missed the segue, but did we get there because his last name is East? Yes. And the synapse is fired of... Correct. Okay. I always forget which one's the... The house falls But it on was the triggered one. by the last name, Tony yeah, yeah, East. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, like if we were interviewing former Pacer Mark West, I'd be like, you know, I have a question for you. <laughs> like, what happens if Mark West and Tony East get in the same room? Do you have to make sure there's no storms coming? Yes. Somebody get hurt? Get a meteorologist quick. <laughs> Just telling you, it's the way it is. The way my brain works. Adam West, you chose Mark over David, or David West. Okay, yeah. uh, you know what? I always it's a really unpopular opinion, so I'm going to say it quickly before we jump out and then come back to our. And I'm thrilled about it. Now sponsored road trip segment. By the way, thank yes. you to the great folks at AAA. Um, you ready for this? I'm going to say it quickly, and then Eddie, I need you to quickly fire a break. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. I also thought David West was overrated. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It's about a, what, 15-hour drive to Boston? Something like that? Great city, Boston, Massachusetts. And now with the security of AAA, we have peace of mind now on Total. these road trips. No question. I mean, that, we've had a couple of times where we hit a pothole. No worries. AAA there to fix the tire for us, which we absolutely love. 24-7, 365, just like you just heard. Joining us now on... The hotline is we take the road trip to Boston. Greg Bedard is the founder and editorial director for the Boston Sports Journal. It is Colts and Patriots from Frankfurt, Germany coming up this weekend. And Greg, before we really start breaking down just kind of this year's version of this game, let's begin with a conversation we were just having here on these airwaves. From the Patriots' standpoint, was the Patriots-Colts rivalry basically extinguished when Peyton Manning moved on? Uh, that's a good question. I would say in most corners of New England, I, I you know, I guess that would be true. Um, you know, it was it was more of a Peyton Tom type of thing, and you know, look, the the Colts were good when and when Andrew Luck was there, and um, well, the flight game here, you know. they came here in a playoff game. You know, it, uh, there's a certain segment, um, probably in the minority now, of people who still harbor ill will towards the Colts' uh, whole operation for Deflategate and things like that. So it, it depends on who you talk to. Right. Fair. And I think that's probably true here, right? I mean, the Brady Manning thing, Greg, is funny because, as I was saying earlier, so many people here wanted to hate Tom Brady because of the rivalry. And then, and probably the same true there of Peyton Manning, and then you find out that the two of them actually are kind of buddies, and it was like, wait a minute, are we the last ones to know this? You know what I mean? And it kind of, all of a sudden, you're like, well, my hero kind of likes that guy, and it changed people's opinions, I think, a little bit. But uh, this game is still of intrigue because of the fact that, you know, to me, it is most intriguing, and I want you to tell me, Greg Bedard, whether or not this is an overblown story or an actual storyline. Bill Belichick's placement right now in terms of his job security in New England is what? Uh, <laughs> uh, I would say, well, <laughs> there's a few ways. As far as the short term, 
it's it's fine. Okay. Like you know, I I see no very little chance, maybe a one percent chance, that say they get blown out and look horrible against the Colts on Sunday that he's fired before the end of the season. I see very little chance of that. That's not the way the Crafts do things. Um, as far as his beyond this season. I would say his grip on the job is tenuous at best, and and the only way that he can probably save his job um, would for them to be much improved over the last eight games of the season. Is there a world where he would relinquish general manager duties and just be the coach? Would they ever approach him for that? that? Yeah, I don't see that happening. Not here. He might agree to that someplace else, but um, here with what, in his mind, what he's built, um, what he's brought to the crafts the value that he's brought to the crafts you know look this guy's 71 going on 72 um i don't think we know many um 70 year olds or 80 year olds who uh all of a sudden like to change what they've done for 20 or 30 or 40 years and so i see very little chance of that happening here but i mean i guess i guess you never know Greg, when when you look at the the drop off at Patriot, and I, I get it. I mean, in the NFL, the Patriots have set the the ultimate standard of consistent greatness, and so maybe we are overblowing the the fact that they're off the radar because it's New England, right? But that said, the drop in competitiveness of the New England Patriots is it more that schematically teams caught up with them and Belichick has not wavered? Or is it, in fact, that the roster is just not where in the past it has been in terms of depth of talent? It's the roster, in my opinion, you know, from watching this team over the years. Um, you know, I the, the easy answer would be, well, it's Tom. They didn't have Tom, and, and they've – you know, and it's true to a certain extent that they haven't had the greatest offensive talent um, over the years around Tom, but he made it work because he was one of the best of all time. He, he was that good that he wallpapered sort of all the shortcomings on this team, um, you know, the even, you know, the defense and things like that. But to me, you can draw a direct line to this team falling off just – they. The talent has just fallen off. I mean, Bill. Bill used to be like clockwork. Like I would do, every off season, I would do like this, this color coded depth chart about like, all right, contracts are coming up, and you know, you could see like, all right, well, this guy's going to be a free agent after this year, so they got to make sure they get somebody in house and get somebody trained. They just stopped doing that. It was right around the time of the Garoppolo trade. Garoppolo goes out. They do nothing to get a backup to, to start training somebody to take over for Tom. They just didn't do that. You know, same thing at tight end. Rob Gronkowski was almost traded to Detroit. Never got somebody, you know, at tight end. Julian Edelman was on his last legs. Never got anybody really at slot cornerback. James White got hurt. Nobody at third uh, at, at third down back. Just you know, go through the list. I mean, there is some of it, you know, schematically that you can look at and be like, you know, Bill's, Bill's adherence to his beliefs of defense and special teams can win you games, and as long as you just don't turn the ball over, you make crucial plays on offense, that's good enough. Is that good enough in today's game? I think the answer is no. Where is the line between blame on Bill Belichick, the general manager, and Bill Belichick, the coach? And I understand they kind of operate hand-in-hand, and that's the way he's gladly done it for the better part of a decade. But where is the blame in terms of this season, just this season? Is it his ability as a general manager and the struggles there, or has it been an X's and O's thing largely? 
general manager. I mean, this is he is holding steadfast to the same beliefs that he had back in Cleveland. I mean, you know, you look at this team, you look at where they were quarterback wise back then. You know, Vinny Testaverde, Todd Philcox, Eric Zier. I mean, this was Bill's uh, vision of an offense back then. It's no different now. I mean, he brings in Cam Newton, who is like the last free agent remaining. You know, he takes Mac Jones, who was sort of the first, last first-round quarterback, you know, remaining. He, you know, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge on offense last year. I mean, you know, it, but to me, it's, it's, it's just, it's talent. It's how he constructs the team. It's the same way that he did it 30 years ago. And I think there is a case to be made that, Considering the rule changes and and the way the offensive game has changed in today's game, that the way he constructs a team as the general manager is, you know, it, it's it's from a bygone era. Greg Bedard is our guest. He is the founder and editorial director for Boston Sports Journal. He's our guest here on the Thursday Road Trip, brought to you by AAA Hoosier Motor Club, Hoosier.aaa.com. Speaking of Hoosier Motor Club and AAA, Ezekiel Elliott is a guy that arrived in Boston with a lot of miles on the tires, but there was thought that he could still have something left there. Greg, he was a big name coming in. He's only 28 years old. Has Elliott played to the level that was expected in terms of what you thought they would use him for, or has he to this point kind of underachieved as to what the expectation was? I think he's been really good. I mean, there have been some issues here and there in, in pass protection or um, – you know, not going out for a pass when he's supposed to, you know, just some minor assignment things. But as far as him as a running back and the juice in his legs and things like that, he's exceeded my expectations. I thought he's been really good this year. I thought to the point that I thought somebody might come to the Patriots, you know, who's looking for a little bit more depth at the running back position, you know, down the stretch might come to the Patriots and say, hey, we, you know, flip him to us for a, for a late round pick. I think he's been really good. He's been great in the locker room. He's been a leader of sorts. He's been. I, I didn't know much of him. I just knew, you know, knew sort of the, you know, what you see, what you saw in Dallas, and I think the the version that the Patriots got is has exceeded my expectations and theirs. When you look at injuries, the defense I would say has been serviceable at times, but they've had their struggles as well, allowing just five yards per play though, which is sixth lowest in the league. Bill Belichick's always known for taking what his opponent does best out of the equation. Is this Patriots defense capable of slowing down and limiting Jonathan Taylor? Uh, yes, they have been good against the run. That's one area where they've sort of been improved this year. Um, you know, they don't have sort of household names on the interior. Devon Gotchow is a good player. You know, Lawrence Guy. I think rookie Keon White has sort of taken over for Matthew Judon, uh, who's injured as sort of the, uh, you know, one of the mainstays on the edge. He's done a really nice job um, transitioning to being in a two-point stance. Juwan Bentley's not the greatest middle linebacker in the world, but he's he's pretty darn good. So I think that they'll do a pretty good job against the Colts run. I will say, you know, Shane Steichen, I have a great deal of respect for how he, how he schemes up his running game. I think that will cause the Patriots some problems, but I do think they're, they're in a better place now than maybe a couple years ago when they faced the Colts and Taylor kind of ripped through them. I think they're in a better place now. Where would you say New England is most vulnerable. I mean, if there's one area that you would assume the Colts are coming out of the locker room saying, this is what we have to exploit, it's what? The safeties. 
Um, they they haven't really again. This goes to sort of the discussion that we were having before. You know, Devin McCourty retires, and they don't really bring in anybody to play free safety. Um, it's kind of a crucial uh, spot, especially in this defense, sort of the last line of defense. Um, Devin, even if he, he was up there in years, uh, was still pretty damn good in there. They basically have a bunch of strong safeties, you know, including uh, Jarrell Peppers, um, Kyle Duggar. These guys are really sort of box safeties. And they're being asked to play in space, and they're they're having a tough time. And the Patriots, the last two weeks have uh, I think they're they're in the bottom third of the league in terms of explosive plays allowed. You know, there's some effort with them at two and seven is creeping in. Their tackling has been shoddy. But if I'm the Colts, I'm being aggressive through the air, and I'm going after their safeties. When you look at the Patriots from an offensive standpoint. Do they have the capability, even if it's just for one game? Because you look at the receiving yards, and as a combined unit, they're behind three or four different wide receivers. Of course, Tyreek Hill, one of those. Are they capable of exploiting what has been a depleted and disappointing Colts secondary? Not really. I mean, I, you know, I, I wish I could be more optimistic about it. Um, but, you know, this this offense in general, uh, they've had a lot of flux on the offensive line. They seem to have settled on a group that's been better the past couple weeks. But Mac Jones is just so – there's so much PTSD built up in him at this point from what happened last year with Patricia and Judge as the uh, running the offense to the offensive line was just horrible – uh, through about week six where he was getting you know pressured 40 50 percent of the time and getting hit a lot and he's just gun shy at this point he doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in much he's he's not making the plays he should make down the field his decision making has been poor which has been a real disappointment and you know the only way that the Patriots get going and they you know get on a roll offensively is the running game has to has to set the tone and that just hasn't happened at all this year they might have been better in pass protection the past couple weeks but the run blocking still hasn't been good enough and they're not getting enough chunk plays greg since we have you here can i squeeze in a celtics question (laughs) sure um i think the world of drew holiday you know that that both of his brothers played here he has not but he's married to a girl from indianapolis but he's a wonderful talent especially defensively how has the acclimation if you will or the mold in gone so far in terms of the way he's what he's done for boston i think it's gone tremendous i mean they've slipped up a couple times in the last week or so including last night you know against the sixers but i you know i think it's one of those things that it's a different mix and these guys just have to learn each other i mean you know just me personally, as you know, a Celtics fan watching this, I'm so happy that I get to watch Drew Holiday instead of Marcus Smart flopping all over the place. And you know, Holiday's just a you know he's as good as a de- defensive player. He brings more on the offense. He's a true pro. I mean, he's a he's a joy to watch. And and you know, they'll figure things out uh, eventually a little bit better. But he certainly makes them a much better team and and a better uh, more of a, a favorite to you know take home an nba title this year we certainly hope that people listening to this will eventually you know if they're not already join triple a hoosier motor club but al horford is about to join arp and he's still with the celtics if i'm not mistaken but that's a guy and you tell me if i'm wrong here greg um horford is a guy that that i i feel like brad stevens has a tremendous respect for the professionalism that he brings and that guys like that are invaluable and we overrate what they're doing on the floor because of just the stability they can bring off of it am i overselling him no no he's 
he's definitely one of those glue guys. I think they really missed him, uh, you know, when he wasn't here for uh, a year or so. And, and, you know, while he's certainly up there in years and, and his shooting has gone down probably um, quickly than the Celtics anticipated, uh, he just he's one of those guys that, especially when you're dealing with, you know, young stars like, you know, Jason, Taylor, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they need that, you know, mentor that guys who's been through the battles to sort of you know keep them in check and i think he does he it's invaluable what he provides with that is the pulse around boston i know it might be short-sighted because of how early it is in the season but is the pulse that marcus smart was holding them back in terms uh, of like like being a defensive liability to. i know he was a folk hero to some but yeah yeah i mean you know i just think i think you know marcus smart and grant williams both going out who are both you know mouthy and thought they were more of a part than they really were them going out and getting in you know true pros to come in here and Porzingis being added uh, I think generally it's viewed as a positive and they feel and they feel much better about the team and that's the way it looks on the court as well okay here's my last question for you Greg Bedard of the Boston Sports Journal Boston's a great sports city and they've had unbelievable success across the board in the last you know 15-20 years but in terms of the fanaticism the hierarchy of Boston sports, traditionally speaking, between Red Sox, Celtics, Patriots, Bruins, put them in order for me, one through four. Well, I mean, it used to be the Red Sox, but, you know, I'll just, you know, go off my numbers off my site. It's clearly the Patriots, you know, and I don't think that's going to change even though they're down. If they have, you know, sweeping change, that'll only reinvigorate the interest in the Patriots. And and the NFL is at a point now where, um, you know, even if you're bad, you're still it's um, unbelievable, isn't it? The top of the news. I mean, that's just the way it is now. It's different from when we were growing up, um, you know, in, in the '80s and '90s, where that wasn't the case. It's just it's just different now. And so it it's clearly the Patriots, um, and then it's basically. I would say the Celtics and Red Sox are sort of close behind that, and then uh, the Bruins are a little bit behind, but um, you know it definitely gets fanatic around here during the playoffs. All I know is I watched the entire uh, show of A Million Little Things, and it was centered around the Boston Bruins, and it was a pretty good show. So There you go. <laughs> that's my level of Bruins experience and knowledge right there. Hey, Greg, really good stuff, man. We appreciate it, and – um, appreciate having you on, and who knows, Pacer Celtics in the playoffs. We're going to bring you back. How's that? Sounds good. I right, appreciate forward it. To it. Thanks, guys. Greg Bedard again, the founder, the editorial director for the Boston Sports Journal, and a guy, by the way, um, I didn't mention this, but I should have given him kudos on this. Uh, lost a bunch of weight in the last couple of years just by working out and everything else. He posted a picture on Twitter um, a couple of years ago. I think it was like two years ago. Lost like a hundred pounds. Good for him. Not easy to do, especially when you reach a certain age. Um, but good dude and good information there. It's funny, Marcus Smart is one of those guys. I think when you replace Marcus Smart with Drew Holiday, Jimmy, you're not you're you're change, you're making a change. I think in just your overall focus, right? Yeah, and I think that Marcus Smart, in terms of him being a valuable piece to the Celtics, that decline arrived to a point where a change needed to be made, and it's tough when you have a piece that is. Not polarizing like he, he was. It was well loved within that Celtics right. fan base. I think a lot of maybe not to this degree, but to normalize it for Pacers fans, the infatuation that Pacers fans had with Lance Stevenson. Totally there was same that thing. same relationship with Marcus yep. Smart and the Celtics, and to make that move was tough. But early returns, great decision for where they are 
as a franchise and what they got back. By the way, I have a I have a fun trivia question for you guys. You ready? I already did. Either one of you guys try your chocolate yesterday? Not yet. No, Eddie. Not yet. No, it's sitting in the fridge. Okay. Well, I have a chance for you to win another valuable prize. Wow. With this fun little game, you guys, you have during the break here to come up with an answer. The two Is it you, a free coupon for the sandwich? For a sandwich? Glenda's? Yes. We haven't opened yet, but when we do, let me tell you something. <laughs> You're going to say to yourself, that is the best thing ever. How is it's that a never- fast pass. There has to be somebody that has a Glenda's sandwich shop because she's the good witch. There has to be, right? I would say so. So here's my que- my trivia question for you guys. You get the commercial break to come up with the answer. You come back. The two of you can confer. I will sit here in silence. I will let you guys match wits. This is a real test for you guys because it's not necessarily the, the area where, pop culturally speaking, we are consistent with one another. Okay? But on my flight back the other day, I had an eight-hour flight, and they have now, you know, the TV screen on the seat in front of you where you can pick, and it has all movies. You know, it's got movies. It's probably got 150 movies. That most of them are, are within the last couple of years. Yeah. Right? But then you go to the all-movies section, and it's got like kind of those movies that, like, everybody's seen type thing. I watched two movies on the way back. One was a comedy. One was a drama. One was from the 80s. One was from the 90s. If you guys can tell me the two, I will give you a fabulous cash prize. One for the 80s, one for the 90s. One was a drama. One was a comedy. We get them both accurate or one of the two? Well, we can go. Uh, I will give you a, a a noteworthy prize if you get one right, and okay. a cash prize if you get both right. Does that I mean will, I get a raise within the company? I, I will. Yeah. Well, yeah, because so far to, at this point, I haven't paid you anything. <laughs> I thought you were working pro bono. Oh. So here's the hint I will give you. the The comedy featured two actors, one of which went on to great stardom. The other one that was kind of the peak of his career. Just gave you a hint on the gender. The The drama featured an, an actress who was white hot in the moment and very attractive and was like an A-list celebrity at the time, and I have no idea what she's doing now. One was from the 80s, one was from the 90s. Well, that clears it up. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Matt Taylor coming up at 2 o'clock. So I'm going to give... Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You guys until after Matt Taylor to come up with the answer, but they've been conferring with each other here in the studio again um, I watched a comedy and a drama on the way back. One from the 80s, one from the 90s. The comedy featured two actors, one of which went to A-list stardom, the other of which that was kind of the peak. The drama featured an actress that was white hot in the era and really has not been heard from since. But we just heard from Creed right there, and we have tickets to give away. August 10th at Ruoff, caller number one right now, and then Matt Taylor will join us on the other side. Your movie answer shortly after that. Matt Taylor joins us, the voice of the Colts. Colts and Patriots getting set in Frankfurt, Germany on Sunday. 
Matt, this is kind of a unique week because not only the obvious of going overseas, but the Colts on Wednesday going through a walkthrough as opposed to a full practice kind of makes it a little more difficult to know where guys are from a health standpoint. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that's fair, you know, considering, you know, guys are getting, they're going to be kind of stagnant for, for nine hours later on tonight with the flight overseas to Germany and um, with uh, the walkthrough yesterday and then coming off uh, a game where guys got banged up pretty good. You know, um, Tony Brown left the game with a concussion. Uh, Drew Ogletree left with a knee. Same thing for, for Josh Downs. Zaire Franklin didn't play, kind of had a setback towards the end of the week, uh, last week come to find out. So, yeah, it's kind of kind of murky right now to, to have a, a full you know definition if you will of, of where guys are at going into this game um, and considering too you know you've you got nine hours tonight you're going to have nine hours on the plane coming home on Sunday back to the states and you got a week off next week I, I think that has to factor in how the Colts approach uh, their usage to some of these guys that are chronically banged up right now this time of year Man, I'll tell you what I, if I was a player certainly if I'm in the organization I would want to win the game above and beyond all of the reasons you want to win a game just because I wouldn't want to go through a nine-hour flight home off a loss. Well, we did it in London, and it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It sucked. That that trip was kind of discombobulated, uh, to be honest with you, um, and, and that's that's really not throwing shade, if you will, or being critical of, of anybody or anything just because prior to you know that trip, you know, no one had really done London before. Yeah, I was going to say, there's really no correct blueprint, right? Yeah, I, I still don't think there's. It's just whatever you prefer. It's it's whatever you feel is best for your team. I mean, you kind of have to just go off of, of feel and gut, and um, you know, based on you know, based on nutrition, based on travel and logistics, and there's a lot of things that go into it. But yeah, I, I know the players weren't really happy with um, the the field conditions in London. Obviously, they lost the game to the Jaguars. Uh, and then the Colts didn't have a bye week that following week in 2016. It was kind of an early game, early October, um, you know, week five, week six, somewhere in there. And they lost. And then, we, you know, everybody had to come back home and get reacclimated to the time zone and the eastern time zone. And then the Colts had to play the Bears, I think, the, the following week at home at Lucas Oil Stadium. So as soon as you landed, it's not like you could kind of like take a deep breath and uh, fall back on the fact that you got the bye week and a couple of days to decompress. Like everybody had to go right back into, you know, full uh, game prep mode um, and then get back into that United States routine. And it was just hard. So I think. You know, I think some of the people in the organization kind of learned some lessons and and took some notes and kind of recalibrated their um, not expectations, but just a different approach to this trip. And we've had meeting upon meeting about this trip internally, and everybody's got their ducks in a row. I mean, P's and Q's are, are really really solid this time. I think Matt, how much stock should be put into? yesterday's walkthrough report and specifically I know we'll get more clarity today with Thursday's practice report but Braden Smith being listed as a full participant had they practiced yesterday well, I don't think you can take it anything other than a positive sign. Um, you know, again, that's that's an estimation of if if the Colts would have practiced, he would have played and he would have been a full participant, and that's great because he's missed the last four games and uh, Blake Freeland, <coughs> excuse me, he's played a lot. He's played at left side. He's played on the right side, and you know he's had his rookies uh, rookie ups and downs. But Braden Smith, he has started every single game that he's played in, and every time he's been available. 
he's been able to start. And so if he's fully healthy, uh, I mean, he's the type of player here in year number six that you just throw him out there. Um, you know, you, you don't, you're not irresponsible with it, but if he can play, you know, he can play, you know, if you, if you get what I'm saying. So um, that's a, that's a really good sign. I think we'll find out here in about uh, an hour and a half, two hours on just how excited we should be. If he's a full participant again today on a day where the Colts actually practice, that's a really good sign for the right tackle. Matt Taylor is the voice of the Colts. He joins us on the program. Matt, in years past, or in games past, when Shaq Leonard was not able to be 100%, Zaire Franklin, I think that's kind of when he emerged where we realized this guy is just a glue to the football. He's just a he's just a good player, right? With Zaire Franklin out and Shaquille Leonard not necessarily at this point maybe 100% or also not totally happy with the amount of reps that he is getting, the the slack is picked up without Zaire Franklin if he's not able to go where? Well, last week um, they plugged and played with uh, Sagoon Alubi. Um, really interesting story. You know, guy kind of bounced around a little bit in college, uh, transferred a couple of places, ended up at, at San Diego State. Uh, last year, undrafted free agent, um, got picked up by the Colts, spent a majority of, the, uh, of his season last year on the Colts practice squad, got elevated, I think, week 17 or week 18. I know it was really late in the season, and it was only one game. Um, played primarily, you know, that game on special special teams. And, you know, you've talked to him in the off season. He made a vow to himself that, hey, this year, I'm not no disrespect to practice squad players, but I'm better than a practice squad guy. I'm going to make the active roster this year. And that's exactly what he did. And he's been here the entire time. And you know, last last week uh, made his first career start, had his first career interception, played 100% of the snaps um, at the Mike linebacker position. Um, so a really good story and a really good guy. And that's where the slack was picked up last week. And the Colts continued to – and some say, well, why not just play Shaq Leonard at that spot? Well, it's a different position, right? The Mike linebacker spot is different than, than where Shaq has, has uh, historically played. He's the will linebacker, kind of that off-the-ball, you know, kind of a roamer, you know, for layman terms, um, you know, kind of that weak side guy that can kind of clean up some messes and be free to um, you know, go after those interceptions on third down. But that that's really where you know, the, the key comes in for Shaq Leonard is he's not he's not seeing a lot of third downs. You know, prior prior to last week, and I don't know what the numbers are, you know, following that Carolina game, but going into Carolina, Shaq had only played about nineteen third downs all season long. Now a couple of things are going into that, or at least you know publicly they said we're going to limit uh, Shaq's participation um, on purpose to ramp him up, especially at the beginning of the season, considering all the time he missed and the surgeries and things like that, which is understandable. But they said you know all along that we want to get him to uh, November, get him to November, get him reacclimated, get his conditioning up. Let's see how he holds up. Let's see how those injuries, um, you know, how, how they kind of hold up a little bit this time of the season, and we're here. And I know that he's frustrated that it is the month of November and he's not seeing more playing time. He's not seeing more opportunities to make plays on third down. So that's where where he's at right now, kind of frustrated. But um, I think if, if Zaire Franklin can't play on Sunday, it'll still be a Luby and then kind of a mixture between EJ Speed and Shaq Leonard at the will linebacker spot, um, kind of platooning some of that playing time in New England if it comes to that. I understand, Matt. And I respect Shaquille Leonard's frustration, maybe at the amount of reps that he's getting. Um, 
my understanding is he spoke out about that. Spoke out is probably the wrong word. He he commented on that again today. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that can become a distraction or an issue? Well, I don't think so because it's it's sort of you know, for lack of a better term, it's 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 ongoing. I mean, some of the same themes and some of the same comments that Shaq had today, you know, he had those two weeks ago, he had those last week. And you're right, he's not, he's not you know... He's not grandstanding like, about it. He's not. And, and it's, it's and I think it's just natural. It's, it's human nature that he's like, he's, he's pissed. He wants to play. Like, who wouldn't want to play? Especially when, you know, he, he's, you know, the takeaway machine that he was up until 2021 when all these injuries kind of, you know, derailed his career to a to a degree, and then he, he, next time he came back healthy, he had a, a, a different defensive coordinator, you know, a different coaching staff around him, and so it's just again, I, I use that word, you know, reacclimation. That that's what it's been really for Shaq in the last, my gosh, I don't know, fifteen, sixteen months since his first procedure um, on this on this calf and on on the back. So. Um, it's it's sort of trying to play itself out, but but right now the Colts are, are trying to figure out and balance. Okay, when do we put Shaq Leonard on the field? How can we best utilize his ability to take the football away while also being solid within defending the run, defending the pass, and also I mean we got EJ Speed too. So it's like if if you put Shaq Leonard out there and he's not fully acclimated to the degree that you want him to be in your eyes in the estimation of the coaching staff you don't want to sacrifice what you have in EJ speed too the the versatility and the playmaking ability that he has too so it's it's really delicate situation right now for Shaq Leonard and I feel for him as a person I feel for him as a competitor as a player because he wants to play he wants to fight his tail off but the coaches are are trying to do what's best for the team and right now they feel like it's it's Shaq Leonard in spots EJ speed in spots and and you know managing the Mike linebacker spot between Zaire Franklin and Saguna Luby but you know he just wants to play play out there and you know I think his 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 argument right now is the chicken and the egg it's like they want more splash plays they want more flash out of me you know those takeaways those fumble recoveries and forced fumbles and the picks and they want more you know of those plays out of me but they come on third down and you're not playing me on third down right so it's like how am I supposed to do this it's like you're trying to get a job. You know, you need experience. Well, how do I get experience without getting a job first, right? So it's that's where Shaq Leonard's at right now, and um, he's he's really kind of frustrated. And, and, again, you feel for him as a person, as a player, considering all he's been through. Voice the Colts' Matt Taylor is our guest, brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, you mentioned logistically planning out this trip. I imagine for a lot of Colts it might be their first time going outside of the country. How big a deal is routine in the lead-up to this journey? Well, it really isn't this week. You know, it's, I can only speak for myself. It's just been kind of a, like, I, I talked about all those meetings and it's just been logistics and filling out spreadsheets and submitting this report and, you know, identifying pieces of equipment that you have to take and, uh, you know, filling out a, a manifest sheet. It's it's really been everything um, un, unroutine, if you will, this week. And the players, I mean, they, they don't normally during uh, the course of a regular season game week, they don't fly nine hours uh, on a Thursday before a Sunday game. So it's it's really kind of chopped up, but again, the Colts have been negotiating this uh, really for the last couple of weeks, getting guys prepared, um, going through meetings, telling them what to be prepared for, how to, um, you know, 
what they need to do in terms of their bodies and the rest on the plane, knowing that there's a major shift in time difference once they land and it's time to be up and it's time to to get going. Once the Colts land, they're going to go through like a a stretching routine, kind of a calisthenics and um, cardio routine, uh, just to get the blood flowing after being on the airplane and going through customs and all that stuff. So um, I I do know once they land that they should be in good shape, but it's all about just kind of getting all of the travel out of your system and out of your body those first couple of hours in Germany once you get off the airplane. Matt, give me a country that and Germany might be the answer. Give me a country that you just have this perception is like like would has people that just sit around like at universities and study all the time like are really smart people. I don't mean that stereotypically, but like just you know what I mean? Like like if a study comes out of a country you're like, "Man, this this is these people know what we'll say Germany, right? Germany seems like pretty dialed in people, right? Yeah, they're they're pretty they're, they're pretty intelligent yeah. over there. I would so, imagine. So let's maybe say like, a, uh, maybe like France or Spain. Yeah. Okay. So any of those countries, very intellectual people, sophisticated, cultured people, right? <laughs> so one of their think tanks, they got a think tank where these people just sit around and, and discuss stuff. And this think tank has come up with a study where they have exhaustively found conclusively the answer of which was first, in fact, the chicken or the egg. If you had to pick which one was actually the correct answer before it was revealed, and you get a million bucks if you're right, do you think? they'd say the chicken or the egg well i think when 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 god created heaven and earth he created a chicken first yep i'm with you i I think that's right right i think it has to be right right i mean adam and eve got there somehow so the chicken had to get there somehow first too and that's just probably (laughs) probably the big man upstairs saying kind of like snapping his fingers and saying boom there's a chicken now lay an egg yeah i see i i totally agree with you Now, then the other thing comes, but now you, so actually it wasn't just one chicken. It it had to be two, right? Well, that's true too. (laughs) Right? I mean, there had to be two chickens. And then you get the whole conversation about, is it a rooster or a hen that's first? I mean, it gets ugly at that point, but, but I'm with you that the chicken, I I'm glad that you agree with me on that. Um, Hey, where do things stand on Josh Downs? Because I look, I, I love the way this guy has emerged and developed himself and already I think has become a real kind of safety net for Gardner Minshew. But, you know, we know about the health issue right now just in terms of that knee. Where do you think things stand or are trending for the game with New England? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's kind of fifty fifty right now. And then if you're asking me, I've got no insider information whatsoever. But if you're if you're asking me if it's if it's uh a little bit less than 50 or more than 50 with it being kind of up in the air. I would say it's it's less than 50 at this moment. Again, that's just gut because, you know, didn't practice at all last week, kind of was a game-time decision, worked it out uh, in warm-ups in Carolina, and it really didn't take him long to exit the game early. You know, it was in the first half um, against the Panthers. So, um, again, I, I just I think with, with him not practicing yesterday and then the nine-hour fly, I think it's going to be tough. I, I think he's truly kind of banged up. Um, and the Colts might might be smart with him and might treat him kind of in the long term, the long view in this case, knowing they've got the bye and trying to get him right for for the home stretch once they come back to Lucas Oil Stadium after a week off. That's that's kind of where I'm leaning, but. Again, I've got no insider information. We'll find out when the injury report comes out in a few hours. But you're right. I mean, he's built up a lot of synergy with Gardner Minshew. You know, I think the numbers kind of bear it out that Downs is his favorite target so far this year. The guy that he kind of goes to in crucial situations, you know, third down, red zone, game on the line, got to have it type catches. That's where Minshew has 
typically gone. And if he can't play, if Drew Ogletree can't play, you know, you just have to wonder that hopefully the the offense is a, is a little bit more less stagnant than it was in the second half against Carolina. Now the game, the dynamic with Kenny Moore's pick sixes, it kind of changed the the approach and the philosophy of the Colts on offense last week. Um, so that that's that'll definitely change some things. But you know. Not having Josh Downs last week wasn't a huge deal because the Colts were really never in danger of losing that game or the Carolina Panthers getting back into the game on the scoreboard. Uh, we'll, we'll see how the Colts kind of compensate for that loss if, again, uh, if it comes to fruition that Downs can't play on Sunday against the Patriots. But I think the thing for me, Matt, that has also become so important about Josh Downs' development, comfort level is probably a better word this year, <clears throat> is that – Next year, Anthony Richardson, theoretically, in his development, is going to need as many of those comfort-level security blanket receivers on the field as the game gets faster for him as possible. And having Downs already acclimated of making those catches across the middle or just being a guy that is able to get himself space to relieve a quarterback, I think is invaluable. And I think that was a really critically important thing for them to see out of Downs this year. And oh, yeah. and they're yeah. getting it so far. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Downs is in, in short order. I mean, at the beginning of the season, you know, preseason, first quarter of the year, it was like, man, this guy's one of the best slot receivers in the game. And the Colts figured out. It's like he's one of our best playmakers. And we just got to get him the ball. So they've taken him out of, you know, the idea of he's just a slot. They're they're moving him all around the formation. He's going in motion a bunch. They're kind of hiding him in stacks and bunches to make sure he gets off the line of scrimmage cleanly. Um, they're splitting him out wide. He's yeah. He's he, I think he's much further along than a lot of people think that a rookie uh, wide receiver would be at this point. And that goes back to his background. His dad played in the NFL, his coach, you know, Dre Blyze, his, his uncle. So he's got a lot of, you know, wisdom and kind of tricks of the trade that have been passed down to him. So he's very intelligent, high IQ football player, knows those kind of creases and windows to, to make himself available. Um, and again, Gardner Minshew, I think before his injury, he was averaging almost like eight targets per game when Minshew was his quarterback. So um, that just gives you an idea of, of how comfortable the Colts were with him in a bigger role. He was on pace prior to last week. I mean, he's probably not going to make it now because you know he's, he didn't play last week, essentially, in danger of not playing on Sunday. But he was on pace prior to getting banged up for 1,000 yards. I mean, a, a rookie wide receiver around here getting 1,000 yards only happened once, and that was Bill Brooks. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely on um, – the short list for Anthony Richardson next year once he comes back to be one of his favorite targets within this offense. Voice the Colts' Matt Taylor joins us, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, if the Patriots decide to try to take away Jonathan Taylor, where do you think the offense evolves or counters that? Is it utilizing him and Zach Moss more in a screen-like game? Yep. Or is it expecting yep. the wide receivers, whether Josh Downs is a part of that or not, to step up against the Patriots? Yeah, you you kind of read my mind there, Jimmy. It's it's get the ball into the hands of Jonathan Taylor in this game any way possible. And it doesn't have to be banging your head against the wall on an inside zone or an outside zone to Jonathan Taylor in the in the traditional running game because they are very good. New England's strength, you know, I know they're 2 and 7 and they're kind of crummy right now, but their their strength is stopping the run. They give up, you know, 3.4 yards per carry, which is number 2 in the NFL. Uh they've held 6 of 9 teams this year to under 4 yards per carry. Um so they don't give up a lot of yards. They don't give up 
you know, big explosive games to rushers individually. I think they've only allowed one 100-yard rusher on the season. So, you know, Taylor needs to touch the ball. I, I think Taylor needs to touch the ball still 20-plus times in this game. And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's you know, 12 rushes and eight catches. Just get him the ball in space like you saw on that 10-yard screen pass for a touchdown against the Panthers last week. Just get him the ball where he can make something happen and just kind of chip away at this defense, kind of ground, grind them down. You know, Taylor doesn't need 70 rushing yards in the first half to be effective, but he needs enough carries to get himself established where the Colts are staying on schedule down and distance-wise, you know, three, four yards a carry. That way third down is not third and seven, it's third and three or less, and you can still run the ball at that point with Jonathan Taylor. With Shane Steichen as the head coach in the offensive mind that he is, Matt, with Jonathan Taylor now getting more involved, does it seem to you that the Colts have adjusted the playbook to Jonathan Taylor or are awaiting Jonathan Taylor to adjust to the playbook? No, I think I think the Colts are waiting on Jonathan Taylor to have an enormous game. And he's he's been close. He, you know, a couple of these runs, you know, you can tell like, you know, maybe 2 years ago he slips out of his shoestring tackle, you know, kind of a la the uh the New England run in 2021, right? When he ripped it 65 yards and made just an incredible juke move at the line of scrimmage and and then taking the distance with his speed. I think those runs are coming. I think he's really close to that. So I don't think Jonathan Taylor has had to adjust too much to this scheme. I think, you know, during his saga in the offseason and during training camp, I think he was still kind of mentally, you know, I think he had his nose in the playbook. So I don't think that's a problem for him. And I don't think the Colts have had a hard time adjusting their playbook to his strengths. I just think those big games are coming for him. And I think you're seeing, I think organically, you know, he's, he's ramped up each and every game that he's uh, been active coming off of PUP. Last week, he had a career high, or a season high, I should say, 75% of the snaps, um, had 18 carries. I just think he's really close to a monster game. And, um, you know, or it, it's happened organically where he's, I think, evolved over time into retaking or re- reclaiming the, the top spot within the running game. Even though Zach Moss has been great, Jonathan Taylor belongs in a different bucket. We all know that. And he has organically kind of climbed up back into that position. By the way, have you been going over to um, – you're a South Side guy. I think it's down on the South Side. I hope I'm saying the name correctly. Is it Klaus or Klaus, the German sausage and meat like butcher shop down – I think it's kind of near Roncalli. Yes, yeah, I think I think it is Kloss, if I'm not mistaken. Give me a raise in your hand. I have I, I have stories there. So prior to Klaus <laughs> owning it, uh, it was Clem's Butcher Shop. My dad would go there every Saturday, and that's where he would get lunch meat for either breakfast for the week. Uh, love that place. Okay, so so you're familiar with it too. So Jimmy knows of it. You know of it, Matt. Have you had to go over there or like Leader House up in Broderpool? Have you been having to go to these places to prepare yourself for Germany? I I have not. No. <laughs> No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of you know throwing myself right into it because I, I don't do well on planes. I don't like to sit still for long periods of time. I get antsy and I don't know if the right word's claustrophobic, but I just sort of just I, I need to get up. And the thought of sitting in a plane for nine hours, regardless of of, of having work to do and and having you know the the in screen of the the in flight entertainment as an option, that's great. But you know what I'm saying. You just need to get up and walk around totally. and 
take out the trash or fold laundry or something if you're if you're at home. Just do something. Um, so I'm if you're taking out in. the trash on the plane, don't take it very far. Okay. <laughs> so I'm kind of going in unprepared because I I don't sleep on planes and I haven't made a priority yet. And hopefully before we take off here in a few hours, I'll run to CVS and get some some drugs or something that can just knock me out. But that that's that's what I need to have happen. Uh, I need to I need to basically close my eyes, snap my fingers, and be in Germany to be in a good mental space. Okay, so you can participate, Matt, to conclude the conversation here. I've posed the following trivia question to Eddie and Jimmy. They will come up with their guests here in a minute. Um, but I will allow you the opportunity to answer this question. You mentioned the in-flight entertainment. I just came back on a flight that was just under eight hours. So I watched two movies that were provided oh, as the in-flight entertainment. One is a comedy. <laughs> one is a drama. One is from the 80s. One is from the 90s. The comedy featured two actors, one of which became an A-list star, the other of which kind of petered out in that moment. And the dra- the other one, sorry, I, the drama, the drama featured an actress that was a white-hot A-lister at the time and was never really back to that level ever again. Would you like to guess the two movie titles? <laughs> oh, man, that's a lot to take in there. Um, Eight, 80s and 90s, one comedy, one drama. All right, what 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 decade was the comedy? <laughs> okay, I, I I told these guys I wasn't giving any more hints, but I will tell you because Matt, you and I are, are kindred spirits. Uh, the the we own a company together. <laughs> good point. Yeah, we do. Uh, comedy is the eighties is the comedy. Um, well, I might have been right, Jimmy. I'll say uh, I'll say meatballs or something. I don't know. Okay, not bad, not bad. Uh, you got Germany on the mind. That's good. Okay, and then nineties. Uh, that's the drama, right? Uh-huh. Uh pri- Primal Fear with Richard Gere. That's a great movie, by the way. <laughs> Ed Norton is Ed, Ed Norton is like our Derek Carr, Matt. He's very underrated and underappreciated. Yeah, he is. Yeah. You had no idea where that was going, did you? <laughs> I'm a fan of that movie. All right, Matt, enjoy it. Um, my understanding is also in Germany, They, I thought they always said Guten Tag. Apparently, I looked it up, and hello in Germany is hello. So just hollow. it's hollow. Yeah, I took I took four years of German in high school. Did you actually. really? Yeah. How, how do you say uh, thanks for having me in German? Uh, danke for danke for die Spates. Uh, Spates, I believe, is time. If I'm not mistaken. Really? D- yeah. Danke. What was that again? Danke is thank you. And then what was it? Dur- Dury Spates. Uh, I think I think Spates is time. Uh, for 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 D is for is for four, and D is the sort of like the. Um, wow. Not non-denominational uh, word for the D- donkey for the spates, right? Yeah, donkey for the spates. Okay, what? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> that was completely useless. That actually sounds like a guy that was like a, a starting center at Colgate in the mid '90s in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Thanks to that same yeah. curriculum of Ron Kelly German that Matt went through, but like I said, mine is just one year. I can say I play basketball in my free time. Oh, That's how do you say that? Ich spiele basketball in yeah, meine Freizeit. Yeah, spiels spiels do basketball. That's do you play basketball, yep. Jimmy? Yep. Yeah, you guys stemmed. So good. Yeah, for sicker. Yeah, for sicker. <laughs> Holy cow! Well, here we go. All right. Well, Matt, you enjoy. Have fun with those drugs on the plane. <laughs> Will do, boys. Yeah. Hopefully, I can pass out and talk to you in German here. <laughs> That'll be your second most drugged experience of the afternoon. All right, All right Matt. Boys. Appreciate it. See you guys. All right. 
So he was 0 for 2 on his guesses. I've had several people text me with really good guesses. All right. I would like Eddie and I to be separate. Eddie, I'll split with you if we win. But I want our guesses to be separate. That way we get more bites of the apple. Is that okay? I don't think we're going to get uh, it anyway. I don't even have a guess for a drama yet. So It's, it's up to him. You're the, you're, the, you're the ringmaster here. It's up to you. Fabulous cash prize on the line for you boys. I think I even have a, a pound in my wallet here left over. It's got Maybe I'll see if I can give you that and I'll pawn that off on you. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk more about what's going to take place tonight at the Fieldhouse. We'll do it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Pacers in action tonight at the Fieldhouse taking on Giannis. Damian Lillard, pretty good roster. Drew Holiday, Milwaukee Bucks, all here tonight. Uh, should be a good game, and we will certainly be talking about that tomorrow and, of course, previewing tomorrow the Colts and Patriots for the weekend. Be curious to see which Bucks uh, rest and who are there tonight. And, of course, the Pacers coming off a of back-to-back as well. Uh, okay, so he- here's the deal. You guys now know the 80s movie that I watched on the plane is a comedy based on if you were able to put together all the pieces. I was saying the comedy is the one that has two actors in it, one of which became an A-list star and still is a big name, the other of which that was, he's like drinking in a bar somewhere telling people that that was the role he played. Um, The 90s was the drama. Jimmy, I've changed my mind on the drama, by the way. it featured an actress that was a white-hot A-lister at the time. That is, I, I couldn't tell you where the actress has been in the last five or six years or, or of, of anything the actress has done. People have given several good guesses. You two have conferred amongst one another, and you have decided collectively that your answers are what? I don't think we ever really did. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't come to a collective decision. Um, can I go to the well for one more question, or do you need answers now? You can go to the well for one more question. Where are we walking in terms of the lines of a comedy and a, and a dramedy? As in one that would be described as both a comedy and a drama, obviously, but for those that don't know. Uh, it is very clearly a comedy. All right. So. Eddie, what did you- My guess was Fast Times at Richmond High for the comedy. See, but when he says that, I'm thinking of billing of just two actors on the poster. That's it. And one of them took a leap and the other one tilted off. I'll defer to you. All right. So your 80s comedy guess is? Jimmy, you good with that? Yeah, I guess we'll go with Fast Times. I don't think think that fits the description, but I'll go with it. I will play this to reveal the hint that ultimately will give you the answer. Really? Look, I wasn't wasn't around clearly in the 80s because I was 95, but... Did Matthew Broderick just ascend after that? Well, he was already a name for sure because he'd been in war games and whatever else. But that's clearly the movie that put him on the international map. See, and I um, misunderstood the clue. Movie? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, okay. I, I had thought that you were saying that after that movie, then well, came plenty of A-list roles he, to follow. Okay, he is a major, and, and I, I realize this is not how, he, he was, at least for a while, a major Broadway star as well. Sure. 
yeah. has been, but he's still in the limelight is what I'm getting at. You know what I mean? Like you still see him. Uh, okay. The nineties drama features a, an actress that was bit really big at the time that you just kind of have not heard from to that level since I, I guess was in some sparing roles here and there, but nothing major. Your answer that you guys have come up with is Eddie. <laughs> Why me? Jimmy. I'll let Jimmy take this one. But you said you disagree with it. Now I want to hear what why you See, disagree with it. She now. was in Aaron Brockovich okay, in both the two thousands. Both that's of you problem. can give a guess. Go ahead. Your right. guess is Eddie. I don't know. I don't have one. Okay, that's right. Jimmy. Your pretty guess woman. is huh? pretty, pretty woman. How about how about this song? That help at all? I've heard I've heard this song before. Do you like apples? Oh oh, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Cause I got a number. How you like them apples? Goodwill Hunting is correct. Now You're, yeah, that plays well because I don't know what female Mini Driver. Okay. Who plays? Because I think of Robin Skyla. Williams and I think of Matt Damon. I don't. Correct. Mini Driver plays obviously his love interest in it, um, and she was a big name. I mean, she still is, I guess, somewhat a name, but I, I haven't seen her since. Now, this was a fun game and a good game, but I ruled that out immediately just going off movie posters. I was like, okay, it's Robin Fair. Williams, Matt Damon, but. Fair. Now. Um, we- we're not going to cash prize, but I'm proud of us, Eddie. Considering <laughs> we're outside our era, we, we, we brainstormed the, the one well. that yeah. really, The one that you could have gone with would have been a fabulous guess would have been Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because Keanu Reeves went on to total stardom from there, yeah. and the other guy, it's like he's in a bar somewhere like, yeah, I played William L. Preston Esquire. Now, speaking of Julia Roberts, one other note. I, I don't think I mentioned this yesterday. If I did, I apologize. Um, the... I'm trying to think of which hotel we were in. I think it was in anyway when I was on my vacation. There we had one like movie channel that was in English, so you're kind of at the mercy of showing whatever they're showing you. Like once we got back to the room, we're just hanging out, and there was a movie that was out. I looked at it, it was from I think 2019 with Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson. They're a married couple in it, and they have a son. Um who had some challenges, and the name of the, sh- the movie is Wonder. Have you guys heard of that? I've n- I had never heard of it. And not. I'm like, well, it looks like we're watching this. It's the only thing on. And it was it was great. I mean, it was a really good movie. And, and I'm like, that's just movies in today's world. Like, if it came out during, like, COVID or whatever, and it was straight to Netflix or whatever, you just don't, you know what I mean? You yeah. don't see the movie posters, right? That stuff doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but anyway, so Wonder was a good movie, for those that are curious. I still think that Rain Man would have fit, because Dustin Hoffman... Like obviously, you have the graduate. You have a number of different films for him, but Tom Cruise ascends. But then, when you gave us more clarity, it's like, okay, well, that's an era where that's a yeah. But I still think of Dustin Hoffman as like an A-list legend, right? Yes, for the body of work. But I just mean in terms Correct. of if when you look at today, because of age, primarily, not seeing him as much. Yeah, and the, you know, Dustin Hoffman. I used to get confused with Dudley Moore, who was also an actor. And I've got a Dudley Moore watch. It hasn't worked in five years. You know what I mean? Is Dudley Moore still living, I wonder? Well, at least it's right twice a day. Huh? At least it's right twice is, a day. That is correct. That is indeed correct. Uh, so tonight you will be working the game, Eddie, for the Pacers, correct? Si, senor. Um, you know, I, I'm really curious to see, you know, maybe they benefit from the fact that, like, last night you saw a serious workload out of Aaron. You know, the Pacers' depth really could help them tonight. Milwaukee's a pretty challenging opponent there, but – this is where these back-to-back nights are where it's going to be important for Indiana because you've got guys that maybe do have maybe they're a little bit fresh because they were able 
to, to lighten some workloads a little bit. I mean, Neesmith leading them last night off the bench with 24. Does that mean tonight that they work more through Buddy Heald, for example? You know, how do they work those things? I think that's what's going to be interesting to watch or to anticipate tonight. What I would like to see, if they're not able to figure things out defensively against Giannis, which is Tony East mentioned that that has been kind of the thorn in their side for the better part of the last five years, this could be a game, truthfully, where even if things aren't clicking fully defensively for the Pacers, the Bucks haven't figured things out defensively either. This is one of those games where you look at the Pacers roster and you think, this is a team that's built to outscore you and is going to go down trying. And I, I feel like that if they're not able to figure things out defensively, maybe this is a game where they just put up 140 and it's like a 140 to 135 type of Pacers win. By the way, I didn't even realize I just said it. Apparently I said Drew Holiday was on the Bucks. We were just talking about yeah. Drew Holiday with the Celtics, which is why that was on my mind. So I apologize for that. By but, the way, I don't know if you saw this, Giannis was ejected yesterday early in the third quarter. So, yeah, he's, so, see, so he's only played a half of yeah, he's only played a half of basketball. Chris Middleton didn't play yesterday. I would assume Middleton plays tonight. Uh on the injury report for the Milwaukee side, Damian Lillard, right calf soreness is questionable. Giannis left ankle soreness is probable. So do they go tonight with, you know, since they went Giannis half the game and Damian Lillard playing tonight, do they go Lillard out and then Giannis plays? The, the, you know what I mean? I know that Possible. they're supposed to not really do the whole load management thing, but this is not a... All you need is a real injury designation on there, which he has right now, right? right? Like the NBA only has a You're certain right. way to track that. They're second in the Eastern Conference right now, very, very early in the season, but... You could afford to do that if you're the Bucks. With the this star is power not an in-season tournament game, correct? correct? Correct. Okay. But the city court is debuting tonight. Oh, really? Yes. Well, hopefully it'll look like that aqua green blue mess of sea that they did for the court in the tournament game. The Jay Cook. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Plays of the day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day, Thursday Night Football. Back to being gross, so we'll get gross with it. We'll take Tyson Bajan of the Chicago Bears to throw an interception, and we'll take Bryce Young of the Carolina Panthers to throw an interception. Bucks pacers tonight, over 21.5 total points for Tyrese Halliburton. Pacers surprise some folks. They get the dub, plus 114 on the money line. Eddie, what do you like? Um, I was trying to pull up the sports book real quick, but uh, this morning I like the Bucks minus three. All right. I don't know if it's still minus three. I will take the over on Giannis. I will play that up to 28 and a half. So it's minus two for the Bucks. I will take minus two for them, and I will take the over on Giannis. 29 and a half last I saw on DK. Okay, so it's gone up since this morning. I got that at 27 and a half. I don't like it at 29 and a half. That's way too much, and I will take the team total over for the Milwaukee Bucks at 121 and a half. Here's my lock of the night. You ready? Yes. Dudley Moore will not be making any movies again. Uh, <laughs> apparently, he passed in 2002. Probably should have looked that up before I said my Dudley Moore watch hasn't worked in five years. That would explain why he hasn't been in any movies lately, right? Um, so it's just 21 years it hasn't worked then instead. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, John is at Joe's Grill, right, James? All right, he's up next. <laughs> 